have I got a story for you. Julianne Murray is running for governor of Delaware. She's a trial lawyer, owner of five rescue dogs, argued five separate times in Delaware Supreme Court, has hosted radio shows, lived in a dorm room while being in her late 30s, and is running on energy. Hopefully I gave that the proper amount of energy. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com. Yep, you know it. It's the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merch you had no idea existed because AndrePsyche.com has been hidden, tucked away, nestled in the northwest part of the World Wide Web. Let me give you a little preview of the plethora of potential purchases available for your perusing. We are talking about literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, all created by Andre himself. And best of all, if you want a completely unique, 100% original custom gift for someone you love, all you need to do is message Andre, shout out the details, and bada bing bada boom. I don't know if he's Italian. I feel like he has some Italian heritage, so that's why I threw that in there. Andre will make it for you. How? because he is a freelance creator extraordinaire. So go to andrepsyche.com and just see what speaks to you, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on andrepsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Would you like to support an up-and-coming Delaware startup? Did you know you were listening to one right now? <laughs> Set you up a little bit, huh? We need and appreciate your support. Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you opened to listen. And while you're at it, if you could rate and review the pod, that is so important to rate and review the pod, especially if you listen on Apple. If you haven't already, friend and follow the podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Search us up. It's getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod. By rating, reviewing, subscribing, friending, following. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. When elections, you only have to do one thing and vote. Here, I'm asking you to do five. But you are providing, by doing all that, you, the listener, are providing the support and numbers for the Getting to Know You pod to pursue advertisers. And finally, yes, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The podcast has been downloaded in over 20 different countries and the majority of the United States. We just can't seem to find a listener in Idaho or the Dakotas. So if you know someone there, send them a link. If you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. Our advertising rates are extremely reasonable, and we would love to partner with you. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show, we 
are getting to know Julianne. And Julianne Murray, the recently endorsed by the Republican Party as their gubernatorial, I always hate that word, candidate. So she wants to be your governor, Delaware. Julianne, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and um, letting everybody get to know you. I really appreciate it. Well, and I, I appreciate the invite. Uh, any opportunity to kind of reach people is, is is a good thing. So I'm 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 on board. Yeah, and the first thing that I'm so interested in is reaching people during COVID nineteen. And I'm okay. not super political, but I imagine from what I see, rallies are a really big deal <laughs> in getting the word out <laughs> and actually meeting people and touching people, handshakes, kissing babies, really big deal. And right. COVID. Going up against an incumbent, man, that just seems like stacks almost. It's stacked against you. I would, I, I hear you, but I don't know if it's true. And, it. and and what's interesting about it is, I think that there is an expectation in you know in uh, a traditional political campaign that you, you you do exactly what you're saying. You do the handshakes and you kiss the babies and you do all of that stuff. Well, that expectation is not in place in this election. Mm. It's, you know, it, it's actually the opposite. The expectation is that you won't be meeting people face to face. And, you know, and so I, I think that, so for instance, when I was uh, introducing myself to the regions, there's five uh, Republican regions uh, within the state. Uh, and I appeared uh, at each region, two of them were live, three of them were Zoom. Uh, and uh, and that you know and so what's great about it is you know if you have an in-person meeting people uh, are either there or they're not with these zoom meetings I mean all of these things are getting recorded and they're getting passed along so you're uh, actually in some ways reaching a wider audience than you would have had you appeared just in person that's I hadn't even thought about that but that's so true yeah, and, and so that part has been, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have reached out and they're like, oh, well, I heard you when I was on the, you know, the Newcastle Zoom and, I'm, you know, and, and I can, when you're doing uh, Zoom and you're a presenter, at least from my perspective, I'm not scrolling down, seeing who all is on. I mean, I don't know the names. You don't, you, you never know how you're being received on the other end of it. So it's, wow. it's been very interesting for me to have people uh, reach back out and say, Hey, I saw you on zoom. You caught my attention. And nice. yeah, because you just never know. And, and so, yeah, it's been pretty wide. I, I've really been surprised by that. Uh, and be. as we get into more into the election, I think by the time, you know, post primary, if I win the primary, it'll be interesting to see what happens going into the general for, in terms of whether it stays at this kind of electronic medium like that, you know, uh, social media or right. pods or things like this, or whether there's going to be more of a shift to the in person. I would be so scared to scroll through the open comments if I was in your position for fear of like just trolls, just angry people on the internet who kind of want to be that person. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah and, and, and it is one of the things, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because you, um, I, you, you have to have thick skin. Right. Okay? Man. Um, and, and that is something that I had to kind of consider. And I'm sure we're going to get into how the heck did I end up here in the first place? But, you know, one of the things is, you know, is, is just letting some of that just kind of bounce off and move on. And, you know, and knowing that I'm on message and I'm, you know, that there are people that I'm reaching and those that disagree with me are just going to disagree. And, you know, and there's just nothing I can, you know, I can't, I can't change that yeah. and, you know, and just move on. It does it, and you can talk, get into it as much as you want, but I do wonder, I feel like the conversation, the disagreement is actually good 
because it makes you think, it makes the person who's disagreeing think. Like you need that, right? You don't just want a hundred yes men. But I feel the internet allows or lends itself to such nasty, negative, and kind of yeah. like jerkish um, disagreements. And I was wondering, do you even do you just pay them no mind at all, or do you try to respond? Change like what do you have a strategy for it? I guess is the way to ask for like the jerks, the trolls. Well, <laughs> right now, and of course, you know, now because I say this, it will open the floodgates. Right now, <laughs> there's really not that many jerks. Oh, yeah, then I jinxed you. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, I jinxed you. Yeah, th thanks for that. I, I, and I'm gonna, you know, I, I have your email address and I'll, I will start forwarding those messages. Um, but I mean, but right now, I mean, bear in mind politically where we are in the you know, in, in the process where I'm still in the the uh the primary yeah, for the Republicans. We haven't moved to the general election. I will say that, I mean, I notice it on Facebook, uh, yeah, notice the comments. There's people that, you know, that pop in and, you know, and, and say, you know, never in this lifetime. And, you know, I mean, that there's, you know, there, there are people that curse and say all sorts of things that have never met me. Right. And, and you do, you just have to kind of move on. And, you know, one of the things, at least for me, that's been interesting is uh, how many people actually uh, respond on my behalf when that happens. Oh. So there's, I mean, so, so on face, I mean, I don't, I'm not having to say anything. Uh, you know, someone says something like that on Facebook and, you know, I, I, by the time I see it all, you know, the negative comment, the positives have flowed in behind it, you know, that have said, do you know what you're talking about? Have you right. ever heard her? Have you ever met her? And, you know, some of that pushback. And so it, it, it takes the sting away a little bit. That was something, it's funny, I'm not um, trying to lump you in with a professional poker player, but I was speaking to a professional poker player on the podcast. <laughs> and Politician, poker, come on, man. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about bluffs, bluffs in your bankroll, right? That's what it's all about in both jobs. <laughs> but no it, was, it was funny. So part of what she's been doing to um, help her revenue with the travel restrictions is she goes on Twitch. And Twitch, you basically stream yourself playing. There's a camera on you. And then you engage with the audience through comments. Well, all that to say, I didn't know this existed as far as a position of guardian where on her, on her Twitch, she has guardians that are certified to kind of eliminate or deal with the negative people making those comments. And they, they take great pride in it. She was telling me like they get an official little like badge that you see on the screen. It's a sword and they love the authority. And it's kind of cool that in an like organic way, you're getting these guardians who are willing to just be like, do you need to be a jerk, man? Can you back up? Can you talk to a person instead of being so aggressive? That's awesome. I did. And I've never, I hadn't heard the guardian. I hadn't heard of that, but it is, it is kind of neat. And, you know, and, and I think that, I mean, one of the things, and it's really unfortunate and it's, it's kind of the age of social media, you know, texting, Facebook, you know, all of it is people say stuff that they would never say to your face. Never. It's so weird. And, and, and it's, and it's sad because I, I think that, um, you know, it's been interesting, um, to see people. So for instance, I, I, I have a Facebook, uh, I have a personal page. When this started, I did not even have a personal page. <laughs> Just like me. I didn't have yeah, one did, either when I started yeah, the pod. <laughs> yeah, I did not. I, I, um, I, I'm an attorney. Uh, I, I have seen face. I mean, I just, I, Facebook is, has a lot of downsides. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And so I've never, I never had a Facebook page. Obviously when I decided to run for governor, that changes everything. And, uh, so I had, you know, I, I loaded up a personal page and then 
I have a Murray for Delaware page and, you know, and, and I'll see it. So I'm, I'm have this Murray for Delaware page. We're adding likes to it and I'll see a comment from somebody. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's sort of edgy. It's not necessarily negative, but it's, you know, I mean, there's just a little bit of edge behind it. That's kind of like, I bet you won't answer this, yeah. whatever the, you know, the comment is. Right. First, first time I saw it, I thought, okay, fine. I responded and said, I'd like to talk to you. Not, not on Facebook. Like I want a, a real conversation. <laughs> and, uh, and that particular person actually said, you know, was like, really? Yeah, no, really. Let's, <laughs> let's talk. And, um, and, and I've had, yeah, you know, I've had several of those. You know, I mean, a couple of them just completely backed down and were like, never mind. But, right. but I've had, I can think of probably 10 that I can think of that kind of started that way that I pushed back and said, okay, you know, let, let's I, I, direct message me so that we can kind of connect. Let's not do this here. Yeah. And all of those people are now advocates and are, you know, are part of the team. So it's, you know, so it's, it, but it, it surprised me when I, uh, that they were surprised that I reached back. Yeah. I, it, it's almost like, and then on top of it, they forget like it's public and you wouldn't shout it out. But if you were like, if they were to say that to you in public, your response would be like, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Like, yeah, no, I mean, and I think that that's, you know, that part is sad, you know, that, that people will kind of take that position and, you know, and not, not really consider what they're saying. Um, I mean, I, I know for me, uh, and, and let's just say by trade as an attorney, you know, I'm, I'm going to be cautious about what I say anyway. Yeah. I, I have had to learn to, you know, not just, you know, not just fire back, you know, hit, hit that pause button for a second yeah, and you know, think about, I mean, I've always been aware of the power of the written record. Right. Yeah, the, the I, thing, I mean, the things that people will put in text messages and, and in emails and on, and on Facebook just still blows my mind. Yeah. And that's the other thing with these people trying to quote unquote poke the bear is like, do you really want to like wake up a hibernating attorney? <laughs> like you've got to be real solid in your intellected stance, man, to go toe to toe with an attorney on just about any argument let alone stuff that they actually know about because attorneys know how to argue. <laughs> we do. And, you know, and, and I mean, not, all, I mean, all right. So not all attorneys, uh, because, and it's funny because when I, I, I I've only been in, I, I went to law school at the age of 38 oh, uh, wow. in 2000 and, and in 2008, um, I had been a paralegal. I had been a law firm administrator, uh, for a local firm here in Georgetown. And in 2008, my husband said, you know, have you ever thought about becoming a lawyer now? I, I mean, I did when I was in high school, college, but never pursued that and thought I was too old. And, you know, he convinced me I had good grades in college. Um, so it wasn't, you know, I, I had to take the LSAT. So I had been out of college for 16 years and oh got an gosh. LSAT book, figured out how to take the standardized test, um, got a good enough score that I uh, didn't get waitlisted, got into Widener. And I, I started in their evening division for the first semester and just, and it would have been a four year program. If you just do evening school, mm -hmm. I decided I'm not doing this. I'm doing three years. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not doing this for four and uh, shifted to full-time students still continued to work part-time did summer school and, uh, and worked through it. So I graduated in 2011 at the age of 41 and opened my own firm in early 2012. Man, good not, for you. Not a traditional path. 
at all. No doubt. Man, I 16 year gap in studying. What yeah. was it like taking notes again? <laughs> it was horrific. I'm telling you. I mean, it was, I mean, I remember I, because when I decided to do this, uh, because I was in the night division, I actually uh, got a dorm room up at Widener because I live in Suffolk <laughs> County and Widener is in Wilmington. So oh, I have awesome. a dorm room and, 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 and there you have your own dorm. You don't have roommates. Okay? Everybody has their own room. Mm. And, you know, and I remember, I mean, I was going on 40 and, and the dorm is full of 20s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, 20, 21 people. In, and it was, you know, I made a joke about, oh, I'm the den mother. And they all looked at me and they're like, what's that? Oh, right. okay. <laughs> I am not, you know, I I am not in the land of, you know, people my age, but in the actual extended division, there's a, there were a lot of students who were uh, older um, and, and, but older was 28, 29, 30. So they'd been out in the workforce for six or seven years and then decided to go to law school. Uh, There was one, at least one person in the, in the extended division that was older than I was, but I was definitely one of the older people. And I remember sitting in my dorm room before classes started and I, I, I just, I just wanted to throw up. Yeah, because, you know, because it was, you're going to this class and it's the Socratic method. You know that they're going to put you on, you know, on the spot. You're not sure whether you're going to get called on. I mean, all of those things that people think about, oh my gosh, I don't want to look stupid. I mean, all of that, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are, it's real. And, you know, and I knew that I was out of practice. And, you know, and, and so I was, I was really worried, but I mean, I worked my, I worked hard. Uh, I made Dean's list my first semester and, you know, and, uh, worked, you know, just, just made it happen. But it was, it was definitely uh, challenging and, yeah, and, and not for the faint of heart, but where I'm going with it is I remember seeing people saying, I mean, there, there's different kinds of lawyers. You have some that are contract lawyers that couldn't talk their way uh, through an argument if their life depended on it because uh, that their thing is reading the fine print and you know and, and doing stuff like that. Gotcha. But there is a different strata for trial lawyers. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different subset. And um, yeah, y'all, and y'all have a presence about you when you speak. You do. You do. And there's, you know, I mean, I did not start as a trial lawyer. I actually, um, I I opened my firm and it was Murray Law. I opened it in 2012 and went on local radio station. Do we say radio stations on this or are we not giving advertising? No, no, you can say whatever on this. You're fine. Okay. Uh, Thank you for being thoughtful, though. What'd you say? I said, thank you for being thoughtful, but yeah, no, you're fine. Okay. Well, you know, these things. Um, and it was a WGMD 92.7 here in Sussex uh, County. Old school. Old school. And my, my husband said to me, this is Sussex County. We moved here in 03. So we had been here almost 10 years and, you know, he, he listens to talk radio. Here is the irony of all ironies. I don't like talk radio. <laughs> It's just not my thing. And, you know, and he said, but people who are fans of talk radio really connect with who, you know, I mean, they become faithful. You know, they listen to shows. They, you know, people that this audience is going to want to get to know you, which is ironic that I'm on a getting to know you pod. And, (laughs) you know, and and he said, uh, so they they had an advertising scheme where you could basically do what's called a call in. Oh, yeah. I I love those. 
yeah talk to a particular uh uh i'm using the word dj kind of loosely yeah. here yeah and it was a guy named bill collie and uh he was on in the evening I, I was on with him in the evenings about 5 25 and then he shifted to morning show um when dan gaffney moved over to 105.9 and i shifted with him to 8 25 in the morning and i did a it was a one to two minute call in monday through friday every day for 18 months wow every day and, and you got but the value. I, did, but, <laughs> I was just thinking like and does it pay off because that yes. that's a long time that's is some super consistency monday through it friday is. knowing that i'm gonna hear your voice at that time yes it does and but but when you i don't know if you've ever had this happen but there are times in your life where you're you, you kind of you know you're supposed to be there but you're not really sure why like why am i doing this and then years <laughs> down the road it kind of comes into play and you go oh Okay, now I know why I'm doing it. That that was a very important beginning for me, and you know, and I when I first went on, I, I scripted everything. Nobody knew I was reading mm. from a script because I knew how to make it sound like it was coming off the top of my head, and you know. But I taught schools, and I and in those school, I would take a topic at the beginning of the week, and I would say, okay, this week we're going to talk about real estate settlements, and you know, and break it down into little one minute bites Monday oh. and Tuesday, Wednesday. Wednesday was always a veteran topic. I, I would always focus on a local veterans organization or something about veterans. Thursday was a continuation of the school and Friday was a recap. Beautiful. And I, and, and so when, once I developed that, it was, it was, it was easy. You know I mean? So it's, you know, yes, there's a little bit of work kind of figuring out what your digestible bit is going to be for the day. Right. But once I had kind so, so I could calendar it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I did those schools I and I stopped that in um, the spring of 2014. And to this day, people, I, when I'm talking to people, they go, you used to do the Collins on GMD, didn't you? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. You know, and, and, and you did the schools. Yes, I did. And I mean, so it was, it was a great way for people, again, to kind of get a feel for, for yeah. who I was. Uh, and, you know, in that time period, so I started in 2012. In 2013, um, the whole sheriff of Sussex County brouhaha I barely uh, remember that. Like, was it, do I have the power to arrest? Am correct. I remembering that right? You are correct. Because at the time they could just serve like basically eviction notices and he was upset by that and then went like constitutional. It did. Okay. I'm cool. the one who argued the constitutional argument. No. Oh my gosh. And wait, yeah. no. Are you the lady that was on the radio? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> and and so the I did not handle the superior court case, uh, but I, I I came in on the Supreme Court case. So in April oh of 2013, gosh. yeah, I filed the appeal in that case. And so in Superior Court, the Sussex Superior Court held that he did not have arrest authority. We appeal it. And uh, bear in mind, I've been practicing a year when this happens. So can, and, I, can I just and, pause and, you in the story to get to know a little more about you? Me, yeah. I would not. I would have to bring five shirts because I would be sweating through them if I'm going to the superior court. Especially, right, almost at any point in my life. But I feel like that young as a lawyer. Yeah. Can Can you get a little bit are like mindset wise for you? Are you just this like dogged competitor where you're like, dude, I'm gonna eat this up. These people are going to know my name or is it just like just nerves can't sleep the night before I'll pacing. I don't know. I want to picture it in a negative way, but like I, me, I would be going nuts in my head. It's a little bit of both. And, you know, and, and I'll tell you that the, uh, the, 
one of the things that I, I'm lucky is that I can focus and kind of tune out the noise. Mm. So, so when I filed the opening brief in that case, I mean, this was at the time, probably one of the hottest political issues and definitely in Sussex County, but it kind yeah. of morphed to statewide, right. you know, it was, it was a big hot issue and, you know, and I'm doing this brief where the defendants are Sussex County and the state of Delaware. And, you know, and, you know, and I know that they're going to have big lawyers on the, you know, the state side of it, on the Sussex County side of it. And, and, and there's me. <laughs> and you know, I you know, I, I write this and I know that the brief is going to be published. I know that people are gonna pick it apart. I mean, all of that. Yeah. But I really, really believed in the argument. And and to this day, I think that I had the right legal argument. I, you know, unfortunately I did not know at that point in time how politic you know, how politics kind of operated and all of the oh. power struggle and stuff that was kind of going on in the background. I didn't know. And but I, I get through the briefing and they schedule it for oral argument September 11th of, um, of 2013. Wow. I go to the Supreme Court. And so I have been in practice for 15 months. Now, here's the thing. My third year of law school, I, um, you, you can do internships. And, and if you get picked to intern for a judge or for a court, they actually call it extern. Don't ask me why I got nothing, um, but, it, but I externed for Henry DuPont Ridgely of the Delaware Supreme Court. So I was, I, I, in my third year, I attended oral argument every Wednesday. Oh, I man. was involved in reading briefs. I was involved in writing decisions. I mean, all of those things. So might've come in a, handy. They, they seem like they would come in handy at this moment. <laughs> they, they did indeed. So I walk into Supreme Court and I'm in front of a panel that I sat in front of as an observer for a hundred arguments the year before. Oh, wow. Two years before. Two years. So it's, you know, so it was, so there was a certain amount, I can't say of comfort because believe me, there's a, you know, there's a gut check that happens yeah. there. But, um, but I, I get to the argument and it's on bonk, which means it's in front of all five justices hot, hot issue, standing room only in the, you know, in, in the gallery, the Supreme Court's pretty small. Uh, there's not a ton of people there, but it was covered, you know, by all the local press, but there was an AP reporter there and, you know, and the, the argument and what went on with it was actually in, you know, picked up by the AP and made it out to national papers. And hello. <laughs> Hello. Can, can yeah, I ask and, you? So I, I, I just want to pause for my head to kind of go back a second. What was kind of the? Because when they, God, I hate being clunky because I get too many thoughts in my head. This is why I couldn't be a trial lawyer. That's all right. When they, when the judges rule, they yep. do have to kind of say the why, correct? In Supreme Court, they give you their correct. Okay, so correct. they give you their opinion, right? So yep. it's dissent or it's. Dissent means they don't they don't go with the judgment. I'm just trying to make sure I got it no, in my right. memory. All right. So when you say you feel like you argued the right way, but they kind of went against you, does like one or two things that they brought up stick out to you? And I'm not throwing shade or trying to placate, but I guess why did you think your argument was correct? What was the okay. I guess main That's sticking point, if you can? No, it's a great question. Um, the one of the so we were arguing, uh, and, and I actually had a friend from uh, from law school 
that had also clerked with with Ridgely that helped me with the briefing. And he was there, you know, when I argued. But what we argued, what the the issue was to kind of back up a little bit is uh, the sheriff said, I have arrest authority. And the um, the state police and it wasn't I, I, I and I'm going to and the General Assembly. I mean, again, this was very political. There was a whole lot of people who did not want him to have arrest authority. And, you know, because it, it was deemed or perceived as a threat to their authority. I, in my view, I think hmm. you you can't have too much law enforcement. And I think that having elected law enforcement is very important. We've seen that in kind of some of the COVID mandates throughout the country where you have people, um, you have sheriffs who are saying, I'm not doing this, it's unlawful. Um, so, I mean, so there, there's an important argument for why you would need an elected, you know, uh, a, a law enforcement. But hmm. what happened when this happened was the General Assembly went and amended 11 sections of the Delaware Code that refer to the sheriff to overtly say he does not have arrest authority. Because they knew it was coming. They knew the case they, was going to court. Correct. Oh, my gosh. So the, and that was going to be the, the whole political thing. Correct. Wow. So my argument was, and where this uh, emanates from is the Delaware Constitution uh, talks about the sheriff and it says that the sheriff shall be the conservator of the peace in the counties. And then it goes into, I mean, there's other stuff around it, you know, other other elected offices. Um, my argument is shall be conservator of the peace, a conservator of the peace First of all, it's an acronym for COP. Okay. Yeah, I was, um, I was actually it, wondering, are police officers described in the state constitution? They are not, because oh. the Delaware State Police did not come around right. until 19, I think it's 21 or 25, I can't remember, but it's in the, in the 1920s. Yeah, so then that would be like the original reference to it, authority it figures. Would. It would. And, you know, and so I argue that it is, you know, that shall be the conservator of the peace is a mandate that you are, you are, you have arrest authority because you are law enforcement. Okay. But again, this is about arrest authority, not that he's a law enforcement officer, okay. but that he has arrest authority. And one of the things in hindsight, if I could have argued that he was law enforcement, it may have been different, but in appellate work, you're stuck with the record that you have. And, and the argument in the superior court had been, it was about arrest authority. Mm. But I argued that there are, because there were names, uh, there are other offices. So it was the sheriff, it was the attorney general, uh, judges, and, and courts all there. And I kind of argued it was kind of the four horsemen was my argument. And that <laughs> they're all part of the criminal justice process. You know, the arrest is the sheriff. The attorney general is the prosecution. The judge is, you know, is you know, the judge and then the court. And, you know, and that they all, you know, that when the, the drafters of the Constitution did this, that they absolutely contemplated that uh, that this, you know, that the sheriff was supposed to be law enforcement. That was argument one. Argument two was that when the General Assembly did this, mm. that, you know, w w amended 11 sections of the code, that they did that as a workaround instead of amending the Constitution. If they didn't want him to have arrest authority, that they should have amended the Constitution. That they, you know, that they should have gone the whole process. And there's a very specific process to how you amend the Constitution. And frankly, I don't think that they had the juice to do the amendment to the Constitution, which is why they did it uh, statutorily by going into 
you know, this, the 11 sections to the code. Because you would need a larger majority of the vote to amend Correct. the Constitution Correct. instead of a code. Correct. And you have to do it over two sessions, and there's a publication requirement, and there's a bunch uh, of stuff with it. Um, man, I so, would just feel, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I would just feel literally the adjustment of the code prior to the case to me is like smoking gun. And I'm like, like, what, what are we doing here, man? How are we changing the rules mid, like mid game to me? We well, filed the it, paperwork. It, we should be on pause. <laughs> well, and if they're going to say, I mean, remember what they're saying is he doesn't have arrest authority. Well, if you have to amend 11 sections of the code to make it sure that he yeah. doesn't have arrest authority, what does that suggest? What was the code prior when we filed? <laughs> It would just, yeah, I mean, it was just, it would talk about the sheriff, you know, and, and it was in different sections of the code. And so then what they did is they went in and they amended and they say the sheriff, comma, who doesn't have arrest authority, comma. That was literally on. what they put in? Yeah. It was, that's, not a, that's not exactly verbatim, but it was, it was that kind right? of ridiculous. Oh it was, my gosh. It was that kind of ridiculous. They hit him with an appositive. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, it, it was terrible. And, you know, and, oh, and so the, God, the decision came out, I argued it in September. It came out in October and, um, and I quote unquote lost, but here is why I say, I, all right, basically I argued that arrest authority is core. It's a core power to being the sheriff. Okay. And, you know, and to fulfill your duty under the constitution shall be conservator of the peace is, you know, it, it is a mandate basically that you're going to be a law enforcement officer. Okay. The court held that arrest authority is not a core power of the sheriff's office. And that, I'm right about the constitutional argument that if, you know, if you are going to fund, you know, change something uh, as it relates to an office that's identified in the Constitution, that you do have to do it by amendment if the power is a core power, but arrest was not a fundamental or core power to the sheriff is what the court held. And... I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe it would be a good time to get political. So appointees on the Supreme Court, I, I'm very limited in my knowledge yeah. of yeah. that this branch, judicial. I'm, I'm yeah. limited in a lot of my knowledge, but that is definitely one area I'm limited in. So you go presidential and that's the big thing, right? Like you get pre a Republican puts a Republican judge on, you know what that judge is going to vote, right? Like that's the huge thing that you hear or in one theory, of the huge yes. things, right? In yes, theory. in theory. Yes. <laughs> is, does it work that way? Supreme Court in Delaware? Are you kind of the sheriff was like the Republican dude trying to seek authority and they were Democrats? Was the sheriff seen as a Democratic guy and there were Republicans there? What was the political, I guess, undertones? Yeah, no, it's a good question. The sheriff was a Republican and the, the court has, uh, it's five people um, and they have to have uh, what's called political balance, uh, yeah, whether it's three Republicans and two Democrats or two oh, Republicans. Really? And, yeah, I mean, it, it, it shifts okay, right. because it's appointed by the governor and the governor, uh, the appointments are for 12 years. At the time that uh, this was argued, there were actually three Republicans on, you know, on the court. Ooh. So it wasn't a straight party line issue. I, I think that it was more connected to 
kind of the the uh, political undertones in the background. Like I said, I mean, I think that the uh, the state police and and it was interesting because I think I, there's there's a huge difference between what I'm going to call the road guys and and what I'm going to call management. You know, in you know in, in the state police and I. I I, the road guys that I talked to had no problem with the idea that the sheriff would have arrest authority. And, you know, and so it's, you know, um, so it was in this case, and I've had several people tell me since then, you know, you were right. (laughs) Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Um, I don't want to hear this now. You were right, but you were never going to win that case because it was the wrong guy. And, you know, and part of that was because it was a guy named Jeff Christopher. He was very, overt you know he he didn't you know he he was very strong in his beliefs that i am an elected law enforcement and that the the citizens of sussex county are my constituents and i have a duty uh to serve them as a law enforcement officer and 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 the people who bought into that the citizens that bought into that i mean were were very very supportive of him Mm -hmm. and then there was the other side and the other side was this is a power hungry you know wing nut crazy man uh who doesn't you know shouldn't be carrying a gun Mm -hmm. yes they carry guns they don't have arrest authority but they carry guns to this day to this day and 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 here's the other thing that that is so interesting oh my gosh Here's the other thing. Uh, uh, he was elected. Um, he was replaced. I'm going to say 20. I'm going to have the years wrong. I don't remember whether it was 2014 or 2016, but new sheriff comes in. Um, it had to have been 14, I guess. And he was reelected in 18. Uh, sheriff Lee. Uh, nice guy. Okay. First <laughs> thing that he does is has his deputies sworn in as constables because constables have arrest authority. Oh. Interesting workaround. Wait, so the and, sheriff who does not have arrest authority can mm-hmm. dictate that the people working for him or her now have arrest authority. Had them sworn in because in the Delaware Constitution, <laughs> there's another another uh, layer of uh, that are called constables. And it was clear in the uh, in, in, in the Constitution that constables had arrest authority. I mean, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty nifty workaround. Um, but as the person who uh, lost because they say that sheriffs and deputies don't have to have arrest authority. <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, it was it was like, are you freaking kidding? Yeah, me? that would have to be infuriating. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that's just kind of crazy that I didn't know at the time I found it out years later is uh, fire marshals have uh, have arrest authority. Stop. OK, listen to like this. They can yep. chase me down. Like if I'm driving down the street and the fire marshal, if the spirit moves him, can hit me with some lights, pull me right. over and take me in. I don't know that they can do that, you know, because it's you know that because it depends on where it is and jurisdiction and all of that uh, stuff. But okay. the point on bringing up the fire marshals is, guess who swears them in to give them their arrest authority? Go ahead. Don't tell Take me the guess. sheriff. Don't I'm tell me. Tell you it's the sheriff. Don't tell me I'm the gonna, sheriff. I'm going to tell you it's the sheriff. That's amazing to me that the sheriff can bestow arrest authority yep. upon people, yep. yet has not the arrest authority. Correct. Correct. That'd be like giving a high school degree to kids. For like the superintendent of a school being like, yeah, I never graduated, but here you go. Here's your diploma. Education's important. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, so the, uh, but in the grand scheme of things about how the heck did I end up where I am right now? Okay, yeah, because exactly. I was gonna be like, dude. So, how are you fixing this when you become governor? Right. <laughs> that case. That case. You know, kind of um, 
defined me. You know, I mean, it was, you know, I'm, you know, I am, I am a constitutional, I'm, I am not afraid to go up against the state. I'm not afraid, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm okay with, you know, with uh, bucking the system. Uh, about a year and a half later, there was an election up in Kent County for the recorder of deeds. And it was uh, an incumbent named Betty Lou McKenna and a challenger named Lamar Gunn. And Lamar Gunn was a black Republican oh, in Kent County. Okay? I actually think, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think I voted for him at that time in my life, probably because I saw his last name of Gunn. And I'm like, wait, there's a Republican about guns? Got to vote for that guy. Got, got to do it. <laughs> um, you know, the uh, He won the popular vote, but it was really, really close. Like, like under five votes close. Oh, wow. uh, and so uh, election day is Tuesday, Thursday, they do, um, or Friday is where they, they canvass basically. And because it was so close, there's a mandatory recount under the, under the statute that was, that was governing this in the first recount, he is still winning. Okay. And, and the margin changes, like it goes, it was like, he won by two votes. Okay. Oh my! Oh my! Yeah, I mean that's how. Close. If you if you don't believe that every vote matters, hello. So mine did. Uh, Good for know, me. So three, you know, he goes up, and then they do another recount, and it goes up to five. Mm. Okay, they do another recount, and bear in mind, in these recounts, they're doing there's the machine counts, and then there's absentee ballots. Okay, and and absentee ballots are a whole nother you know thing in terms of uh, you know how accurate they are. I mean, everybody's heard about the you know the hanging Chad back in the you know the 2000 election in in absentee ballots. Uh, there were 252 of them in this, and I looked at them, and I can tell you, you look at them, and there are some that are in blue and black ink. I mean, there was all sorts of stuff that you're like, okay, can, the the quality of this ballot does. You know, I'm questioning it. Can I actually? Anyway, can we pause there? Um, and not to. Because I definitely want you to continue with it, but that's actually something I've wondered about now with the mail-in issue. Yep. When you were talking about black, red, blue, like how difficult in my head? I, I've never seen one. Don't you just check a box, put it in an envelope, and send it off? How is it? Um, how is it harder? Um, the absentee ballot, you actually fill in little bubbles like the old Scantron. Huh. Okay, so you would fill in whoever it is because a machine's going to count that absentee ballot. Oh. Uh, and, and then what happens is people can't read directions. So they put X's instead of, um, you know, instead of uh, filling in the, the oval. And, you know, there's a certain number of them that the machine kicks out because it can't figure out what the person's trying to say. And then, and then those, those, actu- yeah, those actually get hand counted. Okay. So if the machine, okay. and then I guess I would assume they like take samples of the ones that get counted and try to like make sure what went through was read correctly. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay, so third recount, he goes up by seven votes. Okay, they uh, or and I might have one recount off. Bottom line, they do another re. Or, yeah, no, that was it. And then there, uh, there's a challenge. Basically, they do a fourth a um they do a fourth recount uh, about a month later uh there was there were court filings that were going on i did not uh, again i didn't do the superior court i come in at the supreme court um and uh they it's an election contest basically because uh he is not he has not been declared as the winner even though he had the most votes um a whole lot of I, I I love the word shenanigans. A whole lot of legal shenanigans back and forth, where they ultimately order a fourth recount about a month later. It was the end of December. Miraculously, on that count, they're tied. 
Oh, found the seven votes stuck. See, I don't know if you know this is what happens with Scantrons. Sometimes you get the two-for-one issue. Yeah. And we just discovered the seven two-for-ones that weren't able to be originally counted. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Amazing. Um, Verified three times. Oh, my gosh. So he wins three recounts. It's leading in three. And so uh, they certify the election at the tie. Okay. Mm. And because it's a tie under the statute, the governor can name whoever he wants and he names the incumbent. Convenient. And uh, I challenge it in the Supreme Court. And basically, uh, it was right after New Year's, and uh, it was so hot at the time because the office hadn't been filled yet that it was scheduled for oral argument before we even did the briefing in that case. And you know, I argue in the briefing that uh, you can't certify a fourth count that is different than the other three. I mean, you at least have to two counts have to match. I mean, it's just I mean, you, I mean come on, you know, and, and and go through a whole bunch of different stuff about ballot security and all of this stuff. Uh, I argue it uh, tax day, so I, I have September 11th, and then tax day, I argue it on on bonk again. And I lose, but not because of anything I did. They rule that the guy who handled the Superior Court case didn't file it right, basically, that it was uh, jurisdiction was not preserved for the Supreme Court to review it. Yeah. So it never should have got to them. Was So it never should have gotten to them is basically what they're saying. Oh, gee, man. Can I just tell you as a basic common sense person, we've – And this is my initial reaction. I'm not saying you endorse this or any way. I'm just saying me thinking. Mm -hmm. We just now spent all this time and took all this to the Supreme Court. That's so much time, so much resource, so much energy. And because something wasn't filed right, I'm going to oversimplify it, be like a date was off, a box was unchecked. Then all of a sudden that dis or invalidates the entire argument, I, that is frustrating to my core about an inefficiency in government to me. I totally, no, I get it, man. And, wow. you know, and for wow. me, you know, but again, very public, very constitutional, um, kind of totally in my wheelhouse in terms of, I, you know, it, I, it's important to me. I, these, are, these are very core issues, election security, core issue. Uh, arrest authority of, you know, of, uh, electable law enforcement yeah. core issue. Um, but because of that oral argument, uh, at the time, the chief justice had changed from the one I, the one where I was two years earlier. And uh, it was uh, Leo Strine, who has since retired. I don't know if you know anything about Chief Justice Strine. Nothing. Um, but he is, he's a tough cookie. He's, <laughs> um, he's very argumentative. It's hard to get a word in edgewise. He mm. is, I mean, belligerent. He's, I mean, all, all sorts of adjectives that I can use. I love right? him already. And I bet he yeah. drinks while he does. No, I'm just kidding. That, no, would, be that would be terrible. You know, I won't say but, that at all. Yeah. Jokes, my yeah. fault. I apologize. No worries. No worries. <laughs> but I, uh, in an on bonk argument, you get 25 minutes. I went toe to toe with that guy for 25 minutes. Ooh. And, you know, and I walked out of there and I looked at my partner, Ron Phillips, because we were now Murray Phillips at that point. And, you know, and I said to him, if I can go toe to toe with that guy, uh, for 25 minutes, I, can, I there's nothing I can't do. And Ron was doing criminal defense. He had been doing it since uh, uh, the early, uh, like 1994 was around the time that he became an attorney. And I asked him if I started doing criminal defense, 
uh, could I work with him? Like, would he mentor me, basically? And uh, he agreed to, and I started working on a contract for the state. Uh, when you have uh, clients that go to the public defender, if they have a co-defendant, the public defender can't represent both of them. The, huh. the, uh, the, the other defendant gets outsourced, basically. Even in the same um, case. So if they're both charged yeah, for the same crime correct. or whatever. Co-defendants in the same case. That seems very and inefficient. Yeah, and there's and it's something called the Office of Conflicts Council or Office of Defense Services, hmm. and they need lawyers that will. So you're acting sort of like a public defender, um, uh, but you you operate within your own firm. And I started doing that and spent the last five years doing uh, estate planning, which I love to do. So wills, powers of attorney, and healthcare directives and trusts, and the other fifty percent criminal defense. Yeah, they're not at all alike. Yeah, that's not, a not wide even range. Um, but the criminal defense shifted me. I mean, I, it's, and that's where you shift it. I'm a trial lawyer now, you know, that's, I I've done the appellate stuff, being able to argue, you know, and, and think on your feet in a controlled environment in front of justices is one thing, being able to be in a trial and you have a jury and you have a prosecutor and you have evidence and you have all of the, I mean, that's just a totally different ballgame. That's so many. So to me, one of the things, again, just thinking as a guy or not as solely a guy, but as a voter, I should say, or a person who watches people give political speeches, I, it's almost like they tell them not to go off script or not to think. And it seems so packaged and you, I I personally love the ability of people to take in information, think on their feet and make sound decisions. And it really seems like you've had a lot of practice doing that. I have. Yeah. And it's, and thank you for noticing. Um, but it is, I mean, so the, in terms of kind of the skill set and the things that happen, you know, that, that kind of get you to how the heck do you run for governor? Um, you know, a, a, as a lawyer, the, the skills, and so, and I, I created my own firm. I started as one, I, you know, and there was one employee and then I add a partner and add a couple more employees and add a third partner. And I mean, we're, we're a firm of 10, not 10 lawyers, but three lawyers, a firm of 10. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a business owner. I, you know, I have added, it was mine to start with that people came and joined. Uh, and it's, there, there are some skills here that play well in, uh, in, in, uh, politics. You would, it's not exclusively politics, but it it lends itself. Well, it's, it Uh, seems like a wide range of perspectives, which you really hope someone who's representing a state in totality would have more than just one lane. And Correct. To, to me, doing the criminal part opens up because you've got to sit down with people and understand you, you don't just, I would imagine you don't just do the case. You actually get to hear about the why and about what Absolutely. they were going through. And you're like, wow, you probably in your head start putting together trends and your themes. And you're like, oh my God, why, why, why? Right. Like I I would assume you would almost have to have some of those moments meeting with people who get charged with crimes. You do. And, you know, and one of the things that people say to me, how can you defend somebody that, you know, is guilty because the United States Constitution provides for it? You know, they are allowed to have representation, effective representation just because somebody is guilty does not mean that they still don't have representation to kind of navigate the process. Yeah. And, you know, and, um, and I, I said that once on the radio and somebody 
blasted me in an email and said, you know, something about, you know, that I must not work hard for my clients because I said that they're guilty. And, you know, and I wrote back to the guy and I said, you took it completely out of context. I've had a bunch of clients who look me straight in the face and say, yeah, I did it. You know, can you help me? Right. And, you know, I, I don't make assumptions about that, but sometimes, you know, I mean, and, and one of, I mean, I, prior to doing criminal defense, I used to think that there was no room for plea bargains. You know, they don't, mm. you know, why would you do plea bargains? Everything should go to trial. And now I'm the complete opposite of that because you know what, there is an efficiency to, you know, to plea bargaining. There are situations where somebody will openly admit that, yep, I did it. I'm, you know, I'll, I did the crime. I'll do the time. And, you know, and that, why would we spend the time putting them through a trial and doing all of that if everybody is in agreement that there's a way to resolve it? Right. So it's a total shift. Um, and then about two years ago, so 2018, uh, back to GMD, they uh, they started a show called Tipping the Scales of Justice that's on Saturdays um, from 12 to 2. And John Brady was oh, doing it. Dude, I used to love listening to that guy. He, he is, he is nuts. Like he, he is stupid smart. Like he, he would just, that, oh, I'm sorry. Is, no, no, no. He is stupid smart. And he has, but he has this kind of slow yes. and methodical way. 100%. That, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that drives me crazy because we're the tortoise and the hare. Right? I mean, and, 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 you know, so he was handling the show and it just started and I called in as a regular caller and, you know, and said, Hey, it's Julianne from Seifert. And he said, Julianne Murray. Oh my, you know, and, and I said, yes. And, and, and so we start talking and he goes, what are you up to? I go, I'm trying to liven up your show, man. Come on. <laughs> Pick up now, the pace, and, bro. <laughs> you know, and start giving him a hard time. The producer texts me and says, can you come here next week? Yeah, sure. Um, the following week I went, John had uh, something medical happen. So he was not available. We were going to be on together that Saturday and um, he couldn't be there. And I looked at the producer and he said, have you ever done a show by yourself? I'm like, no, nope. but today um, is going to be a good day. <laughs> no, no time like the present. Let's go. And uh, you know, 15 minutes into it, he came in, he goes, you're fine. Don't even worry about it. And uh, I, that was in 2016 no, 2018. And so for the past year and a half, almost two years, I've been on every Saturday. Uh, John and I alternated weeks for, for a while. And then this calendar year in 2020 did them to get, did it together. And every weekend, every Saturday from 12 to two and, you know, and people love it because we have totally different styles and it, it makes for a really entertaining show. And you because, guys are just taking calls and people are coming in with like their yep. legal questions. Yep. Oh Russian my gosh. Roulette, buddy. Russian roulette. So there's no like pre-plan like you were saying nope. with your school week. Oh man, nope. this week is going to be business theme. You've just got to actually be able to speak on the spot. Yes, you do. Wow. Live on the radio with no filter. That's vulnerable. That's extremely vulnerable. And I flourished. It's, <laughs> it's just, I mean, John has no issues whatsoever. He can, you know, he can answer anything. He just does. ask him. Um, no but, you know, but the two of us and, and again, just kind of different styles. And then I did, I mean, I, I like music. So I developed from the time I went on, I always had a musical theme whatever it was. I mean, it's, you know, whether it was, you know, twisted Christmas songs near Christmas or, you know, songs with the number two in it on Groundhog Day because it was February 2nd. I mean, I, I would always have some goofy thing, but I have in the, in the course of the two hours, there's eight songs 
between the, you know, the breaks. Okay. And I, you know, I would always have this musical theme and it kind of became my thing. And uh, that was just another thing. And so, I mean, we were really, had really, really good listenership. I bet. Um, I can't believe I didn't know about, I feel disappointed in myself that I didn't know about this. Uh, like, well, it, it, and it's still on, um, but I'm not on because <laughs> I'm a candidate now. So the right. guy that replaced me, I actually picked him. It's a guy named Jeff McLean that I like a lot. And he has, um, he's dry, but he is, you know, he, he is a good uh, counterpoint to John. Gotcha. Like I was, and you know, I don't think it's the same. I've had a bunch of people who have emailed me and they're like, it's not the same without you because my personality, I'm, I am a people person. And, you know, so this whole thing about getting to know the person, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm asking the questions and I'm trying to kind of, you know, I, I don't want to get all into the hairy nuances of the, you know, of, of the legal question. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you, you still get a sense of what's going on from, mm -hmm. from it. Uh, but I created a kind of a core set of disclaimers at the beginning that basically said, you know, we are happy to take your questions, but sometimes if you hear me say, let's talk off air, take the hint. Um, <laughs> if there's something that's either too juicy or something that we're not going to get into, it's too specific and, you know, and call us off air. That's, you know, and, and, and we'll talk, but I'm not going to do this, you know, on, you know, on open radio. It goes to your Facebook policy, man, right? Like, dude, something should, we should... Some conversations should be unlike this one, private. Like it Correct. just, it just Correct. what it should be. Correct. Yeah. So the um, so I did that until May, and then in April, with just this past April, with the state of emergency that was going on, you know, COVID's in COVID's in play, and I mean, every Saturday there are. I mean, we're just getting bombarded with questions from people about the constitutionality of the of the state of emergency, the renewal of it the mandates to stay home, essential versus non-essential. I mean, we're just fielding questions every Saturday about, you know, about it. And I, you know, and people are, 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 are crying and screaming, rightfully so, about somebody has to stop this guy. I mean, somebody has to challenge something. And, you know, and, and one of the things about it is you're not going to challenge the governor in state court. You're going to have to do it in federal court. Because, you know, it's if you challenge it in state court, they're kind, they're kind of co-equal branches. And, you know, you, you're just you're not going to get the uh, the juice that you, know, that you need uh, from a from a legal standpoint. What's the like the state court wouldn't be able to say stop with your state of emergency or they wouldn't they, be able to enforce it? They would be able to. But again, go back to politics. Oh, would they? Gotcha. Sorry, no, your paperwork wasn't filed right. You missed the deadline. Wasn't notarized. Well, and, I mean, they're appointed by the governor. Not this governor necessarily, but I mean, but if you kind of think about the politics of yeah. it, it's you yeah, know, yeah. It, it's not going to be fruitful ground. The directions clearly state we needed a twelve point times Roman new font, and you went with Arial. So unfortunately, <laughs> dismissed. <laughs> What's hilarious is that really is a rule. Um, is it really? Oh point. God. Uh, the size of your font and, you know, and if your brief doesn't have it, it will get bounced. It's kind of hilarious that you oh said that. Oh my God. Um, God, that's you know, so, but, whatever. Yeah. But we were, um, we went to, uh, so I, my husband and I own a condo in Dewey that we've owned since 2002. And I, a lot of people may not know this, but as part of the state of emergency, there was a ban on short-term short rentals. Short-term rental travel restrictions, man. Big income. Yeah, so there was travel restrictions, but there was also a, a blanket ban 
on all short-term rentals. Hotels could not rent. Private homeowners could not rent. You could not rent your property to anybody, period. Complete blanket ban. Okay. Started in the middle of March. We're coming into Memorial Day weekend. Okay. It is amazing. People it rent their beach long. places for the summer to pay for the year. Mm-hmm. Lots of people. Um, I actually used my husband as the plaintiff in the case. And the reason I did that was because it was the perfect scenario where Delaware residents that have a Delaware property that couldn't rent to a Delawarean. So take the quarantine out. Don't, you know, know, don't, don't get, we're not going to get into quarantine and out of state people coming totally different issue. Also unconstitutional, but a totally different issue. This was what I would call a very pure issue. Yeah, you're telling me that if you, Sean O'Grady, wanted to go to my condo at the Cove, I couldn't, I couldn't rent that to you. Hmm. And I felt that it was, uh, he needed to be challenged because if you don't challenge him, it's, you know, it's, uh, he's going to just continue to do it. Got to make him think. Got to make him, got to make sure, got to make sure like, Hey man, are we sure this is the right thing? Let's take a second look. Cause that does like, honestly, it does sound weird that even if you were just renting to someone who'd been around anyway, why yep. would you not be able to do that at least? That's the problem with a blanket ban. And, you know, and my argument was that it was, um, and I was, I, at the same time, I was thinking about one for the businesses and I was thinking about one about the religious, about the, what I'm calling the church ban, but you know what I mean by that, that right. basically, you know, that no one could, they were limiting going to church. Um, the reason I picked the short-term rental ban was the timeliness. I was filing for what's called injunctive relief. I wanted the court to step in and there was a sense of urgency for um, you know, Memorial Day coming that I thought I could get traction um, by filing on that issue. Because it's so imperative. It's like a time-sensitive issue. That's it what was dictates. extraordinarily time-sensitive gotcha. for Sussex County. And, you know, and, um, and I filed it um, May 15th, Murray versus Carney. <laughs> nice. The battle. Part, Get your tickets that, today. <laughs> that part is kind of funny. If I, if I win the primary, that it's Murray versus Carney in the general election. That, that part's pretty funny. It'll make a great and, poster. <laughs> yeah, but the, um, the, I filed it, I'm going to say 4 o'clock in the afternoon. By 5 o'clock, the AP had picked it up. Called me straight away. Are you related to the Murray? Yep, I'm married to him. Well, why weren't you the plaintiff? I don't want to be the plaintiff. I want to be counsel. Hmm. You know, I, I don't want to be pro se. And we kind of go through this and I answer all these questions. And by that night or the next morning, it was in the Washington Post, U.S. News and World Report, every, I mean, everywhere, just out on that Saturday. And pardon my ignorance of the time frame. Had you actually declared intention to run for governor when you no. filed? No. So May 15th, you have not declared? Correct. Wow. The plot thickens. Continue. It does. It doesn't be. <laughs> and um, the uh, emails started. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, from all over the country, you know, and, and, but definitely in the region, the Delmarva region, people who live in Pennsylvania, who live in Virginia and Maryland, who had beach places, who are like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for filing. We're freaking out. We can't rent our places. You know, can we hop on board? And, you know, and I'm writing back saying, no, we're not turning this into a class action because there's a whole different set of requirements if we do that. But right now, let's just, I mean, the, the whole point of filing this suit was to move the dial. 
I wanted him to move. It's a blanket ban. He can't do this. And, you know, and, and the argument under constitutional law was that it was a taking. Um, there's a section of uh, the Fifth Amendment. Most people know that is my right to not self-incriminate. But there's actually in that same amendment another sentence that says that the government cannot take your property without just compensation. Ooh, so now you got to pay market value for all those Airbnbs that are vacant. <laughs> How about that? Oh my gosh. I had no idea that was there. How about that? Takings clause is what it's called. Wow. And then under the 14th Amendment, there's an there, that says no state shall uh, create a law that deprives you of life, liberty, or property. Oh. So it was, a, it was Fifth Amendment and 14th Amendment. I filed it in federal district court. Uh, and it caught fire and, you know, and he lifted the short-term rental ban effective June 1st. And that eliminates the lawsuit because you no longer have a case to actually sue, right? No. Good question. Okay. Because I, there were two parts to it. There was a part that was the temporary restraining order portion of it, which is I want the injunctive relief. But there was another part too, that basically said, I want a declaratory judgment that says it's unconstitutional to do this. So that this doesn't happen again. So it sets the precedent. Got you. So it sets the precedent. So I amended the complaint to take out the TRO portion, the injunctive relief portion, and kept the declaratory judgment part in. And, you know, and it's, it's moving at the speed of slow right now, um, which I'm okay with at this point, uh, because I've got plenty of other things going on, (laughs) but, um, but the lawsuit is alive. But that Saturday, between the the emails and going on the radio for my normal show, that it was born. They have you thought about running for governor? Mm. No. And at that point, two people had filed, um, neither of which had any kind of recognition. A guy named Neil Shea and a guy named David Bosco. And um, hasn't I believe Neil Shea is withdrawn? Correct. He has, and yes. he actually endorsed me, which was nice. Um, but he, uh, uh, those two, not a lot of name recognition. Um, at that point, Bryant Richardson had not filed yet. And, uh, and I was, uh, so I did some serious talking to a lot of different people in politics, out of politics and said, is it possible for somebody who has not held political office to win? And of course, you know, my Republican friends are like, well, you've seen the president of the United States, right? (laughs) He came from outside. Um, the, uh, but the, the issue here is that I think, you know, I mean, so basically what I got feedback wise was, yeah, it's possible. And if there were ever a time that it could happen, it's this election mm. because it's a short election cycle. I mean, it's, you know, the election's coming in November. Sentiment right now about COVID-19 and about the restrictions and about how the businesses have been hurt and about the restaurants and all of it. Sentiment is really, really um, high. Uh, frustrated, a very, very unhappy electorate. Not everybody, but yeah, yeah. a lot of people. Majority of people, a lot of people feeling like freedoms have been hindered. Aside Absolutely. from the job part, just why do I have to keep being told or do these things? Why am I wearing a mask? Why do, when I can't go where I want to go? I mean, yeah. I mean, so it's, you know, so when I, you know, as I kind of started thinking about it, because I mean, you rearrange your life if you're doing this. And I um, am not prepared to run for a year for office. Um, when I really sat down and plotted it out and realized it would be a five month commitment, uh, that, uh, that in my view, 
the fact that I am a political outsider is advantageous in this election because Mm -hmm. I think people are frustrated at the national and the state level with politicians. They feel like there's a whole lot of nothing going on and no protections and no one's looking out for me. Um, But people who are unhappy with Governor Carney, who may not vote for, you know, who who say I'm not voting for him again, Mm -hmm. will just stay home and not vote at all. And so my, Uh, my impetus is I've got to give them somebody that they're interested in, somebody that they feel invested in, that they're like, okay, I get that. And, you know, and, um, that has been my message. It's, you know, it's basically, I, you know, I am in this because I am, uh, I care about the state. I, uh, am terrified of the, the individual liberties that have been taken away. I'm terrified about the fact that we've had no involvement from the court or from the uh, general assembly. You know, I, uh, in my view, the governor's acted like a king and, uh, and, uh, with no checks and balances in place. And I don't know what the future holds for us, but if he gets four more years, I'm worried about it. And, you know, and, and I think that the, um, we are economically devastated and I'm bothered by the fact that we do not have, there's no, no discernible plan at this point about what all of this is going to mean and what we're going to do. When you say acted like a king, and I'm not trying to get you in a soundbite thing or anything there, but I'm wondering, does the state of emergency give him that authority with less checks and balances? It does. Okay. That's what I um, thought. Yep, it does. And, you know, but and and uh, totally separate. I mean, so he is acting within the um, Title 31 uh, or Title 20, Chapter 31 of the Delaware Code. And there, it's a section that talks about the emergency man, emergency uh, situations. Okay? It was contemplated that those emergency situations were going to be things like snow emergencies and things <laughs> like that. Um, and, you know, but the General Assembly gave him the authority in there to declare a state of emergency and that his state of emergency would have the effect of law. I don't think that that's legal. That's a totally separate legal issue. I don't think that the general assembly who is the lawmakers can, you know, can hand over that authority to somebody else. Totally separate issue. But, you know, but the way that it is written right now, they have given statutory authority to, you know, that, that he can declare a state of emergency and, you know, and, and under that things like a public health emergency, um, are considered, you know, a, a viable reason for why you would do it. Can they like veto it? So if the general assembly came and had like, whatever, an 80% vote of, Hey, we're going to take away this, we're going to end the state of emergency. Is that no. there? Or is that why no. he has to renew it every 30 days and he just gets to keep this power going? Um, they cannot stop it the way that it is written. And, you know, and the thing about the 30 days is, you know, and again, be careful in your drafting. It says must be renewed after 30 days. There's no cap on that. Wow. So there's no, I mean, and so it's, it's bad drafting. I don't think anybody contemplated. And I know that there was a bill that was introduced at the, in the last session uh, that going forward that uh, they would like to amend this section so that he does have to consult with the general assembly if he wants to renew it after 30 days. So then but, that's how it would be done. Yeah. We're, we're not the, I mean, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and um, so, yeah, so the, uh, when people talk about it's illegal, you know, what he's doing, um, you know, that, that what he is saying, he can't say, yes, he can. 
Yes, he can. Yeah. And it's, it's know, the and, law and, that's jacked up. It's not that he's being illegal. It's just the law itself that's yep. jacked up. Yep. yep. And, you know, so I, you know, I am careful because I think that, you know, but when I say he's acting like a king, basically he is, I mean, he is acting within the statute, but there are, you know, the, some of the, the, the ways that he is doing things um, are not really giving consideration to uh, the ramifications of it. Everything is being said in the, you know, in the, under the auspices of uh, public health. Yeah. Okay. Now, public health is an issue. I'm not saying it's not. Okay. And, and COVID is real again, not saying it's not. Are you sure? Because I've seen something on Facebook that tells me it's kind of made up. And I don't know who to believe. <laughs> hey, if it's on if it's on the internet, you know it's I'm true, not man. Sure. I'm not um, sure COVID's you know. actually real. I I don't know if I can confirm that, but no, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. But you know, but I do think and and it, and it's it's a tough place to be, okay? But I think that you do have to have a balancing, a balance to you know, to to restrictions versus public you know, but versus the risk to public health. Okay. So when this started in the middle of March with everything that was going on, I, do I think a state of emergency was proper? Absolutely. Yeah, what we were being told in yeah. March with the nationally and with the, the dire numbers that yeah. were being thrown out about the level of contagion and what it was going to do. Flood I think the system. To- yeah, I think it's totally appropriate yeah. to declare a state of emergency because it opens up resources, federal resources, state resources. I have no problem with the original one. Yeah, I, I think anyone who argues against that, like if you're playing Monday morning quarterback, you forget about the concept and you forget like, dude, like this, the, the virus is a living thing. Like, like yep. it can morph. Like you need time to study a brand new species of organism, basically. <laughs> like it's okay to take a breath, declare a state of mercy, be like, dude, we just don't know right now. Let's get some time to figure out. Right, right. I mean, so I, I have no issue with that, but very quickly, I developed an issue with, you know, with the, when we start talking about the essential versus non-essential businesses, when he got to that modification, okay, and you basically shut down all small businesses, okay, and you funnel everybody to the big box stores. Mm. Bear in mind, we're talking about contagion here. We're talking about not spreading something, and instead of spreading out everybody, they concentrate us. Density. into the big box stores. Yeah. And that was something that I thought was a super valid argument. And then I guess some people tried to like wall off sections of like the clothing section of Walmart because clothing is not essential. But like I, that, I don't think that happened immediately. And you again think of like, well, shouldn't the store be able to be open? Like a clothing store maybe could be essential. You may actually need clothes. <laughs> well, and, and, and again, when we start talking about essential, essential to who? Yeah. The business owner, it's freaking essential. Yeah, that's their livelihood. <laughs> you know, I mean, and so, so I think that you know, the um, from a from a taxpayer and a voter standpoint, it sure felt like there were a whole lot of favorites getting played here, and you know, and and the restaurants, I again, I oh, understand man. the shutdown, you know, but the the reopening, the rolling stuff back out. How I mean, we're still in phase two. Yeah. We have restaurants that are operating at sixty percent. Their bills aren't sixty percent. Okay, yeah. I mean it's you know, and 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 at this point, what it's you know the it's still falling under the state of emergency. But what is happening is there's two different markers that you can look at. 
One marker is positive test results. Okay. Another marker is hospitalizations and deaths. Okay. Governor Carney is focused on positive test results. Okay. He is using that as his justification. Okay. The largest population of people that are testing positive are between 18 and like 55. Okay. Guess what the fatality numbers are? Almost uh, non-existent. Yeah, I was going to say, they've stayed pretty for them. It's like under half of a 1%, right? Oh, yeah. It, like Maybe even under – I mean, it's almost non-existent. You know, and, and I, I haven't looked at the numbers this week, but as of a week ago, the fatalities in the state were, you know, in the low 500s, 400 and some of which were people over the age of 65. And then within those, the number that were in assisted living facilities right. where they commingled people who had COVID and people who didn't. Yeah. Um, is, you know, it's huge. Yeah. So, and, and I'm sure hugely, if you dove into the underlying health conditions or even something like obesity as well, sure. you, you can really start to figure out who needs to be protected, who might need some additional support and who can just kind of go out there. And, and am I a weird truther if I say start to develop a herd mentality or a herd immunity no, no, where, where it's like, weird. all right, man, like we're just going to get, if, if you're ready to go out and get sick, like with the possibility, not saying you will, but like if you're ready to take that on, go ahead, man. I, 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 no, I don't think you're crazy. And, you know, but the problem is what they're saying is, is that we, you know, th- they know better. Yeah. They have to save us from ourselves. I know. That's always so weird for me. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and I, as, you know, as, as an American citizen and as a Delawarean, I don't like that. I think that, I mean, liberty is important. Uh, it, it's it, it, and and our ability to be free and do things has been severely curtailed by this. And, you know, and I think at this point and I mean, and, and, and here I mean, here's another thing when I and I don't know whether I, I'm not a huge NASCAR person, but, you know, the, the big thing about they're doing six races in three days in the end of August at Dover Speedway. And, you know, and uh, NASCAR put together a safety plan with, you know, hand sanitizer and social distancing and all of this stuff, submitted it way in advance. And okay? he turned it down within the last week. No fans at NASCAR. Wow. Okay. Yet the state fair is open. Oh. Now, again, social, social distancing and all of those mechanisms are OK for the state fair, but not for NASCAR. Why? Dude, I didn't I mean, even again, put that. I, man, see, you are smart. You know what? You are very perceptive. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> put that together. And that's such, I like, if, what do you have? A million state troopers at the state fair to make sure people are, are a pool noodle apart and six it, feet, but you can't, like NASCAR is not going to kind of have the same security. Exactly. And what? well, and, and here's the other thing that is, that is, that on my level that bothers me is money. I mean, NASCAR brings money yeah, into the state. Man. This, this, you know, this state is devastated yeah. economically right now. Devastated. Everything's canceled, man. You like, you, I would, and I've never looked at the numbers, but like, I get you, whatever you cancel Firefly, but you're yeah. losing all these venues. And if you have the opportunity to bring one and develop yep. a strong relationship with a business partner, yep, it seems like you would want to keep that going on. And think about, I mean, again, NASCAR is, you know, all of the tangential stuff to NASCAR, yeah. the hotels, the restaurants, all the different businesses that, you know, that, that, that are come under the umbrella. He, you know, all of them just got told tough. Sorry. COVID. I, I did not even compare it with the state fair. 
And you would think NASCAR would actually almost be easier because you're sedentary for the most part as a spectator. You're not moving yep. around, man. You get your seat yep. and you're like, dude, yep. I'm putting X's on seats. Don't sit yep. in the X's. Like you get some ushers if you need to. Like it doesn't seem overly complicated. You, you figure out concession wise or you let them tailgate and you have boxes. Now, I heard somebody say, and I, this morning I was on with uh, Dan Gaffney. I, I, I'm taking advantage of his Friday remotes. It, it's an open microphone and right. it's free. And so from a, you know, to me, it makes sense to appear, take questions, do whatever. And somebody said this morning when I was talking about that, they said, think about the demographics of the, the voters yeah. that go to NASCAR versus go to the state fair. Now, I'm not saying that only Democrats go to the state fair or that, you know, I mean, it, he was talking in very broad strokes, but yeah. there, I mean, again, it's just, it's kind of like, why? Tell yeah, me right. why. And, and I don't think that you can convince me that it's a safety issue. Yeah, because it's a, the last time I drove through Dover, there was no dome over the NASCAR stadium. Correct. It was open. Correct. <laughs> and you and get you a, could, I mean, a lot of sunlight. And you could put people six feet apart. I mean, there's just so many different things that, you know, that, that I just think that we've gone into um, regulation on Red Bull that is, you know, th that is just so um, wrong. And, you know, and, and there's just not a heck of a lot we can do about it, uh, except make sure it doesn't continue, you know, come November. I mean, that, that this really kind of circles back to the power of the ballot box and, right. and, um, making sure that you've got somebody who uh, is not going to, um, uh, abuse the office. And I do feel like the office is being abused here. Yeah. Well, I think if anybody knows the constitution somewhat well, it may be you. Am I going out on a limb on saying that <laughs> to argue, to argue yeah. the Supreme court twice about oh, constitution. No, 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 no. Well, you don't know. And I didn't tell you, I've argued there five times. Oh my God. Um, yes. Jeepers. Yeah. Yeah. God. No, I've, I mean, there are people who go their whole career and don't argue with the Supreme uh, court. And I've, I've argued there five times in that's, that's five, amazing. six years. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That That's, um, and it is, it's one of those things where if you are a constitutional supporter, I've always wondered this, and it, th this can be our last thing for today. And thank you so much for um, agreeing to reschedule. Yeah, but I've always, to. I've always battled with the thought of like the outsider coming in, but can you navigate the waters if you don't know it? Can you deal with people? Do you know laws well enough? And I get whatever st stereotypical like lawyer talk, like they're all sleazy, right? You yeah. never trust a lawyer, blah, blah. But at the same time, man, if the branch is dealing, if it's the legislative branch dealing with laws, don't you want people in there that know about laws? <laughs> well, it's you, you, spot on. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, so there are definitely people, I mean, there, there are naysayers who, you know, who say that you have to come up through the ranks, you have to have worked in, you know, in, uh, at, at every level. Of yeah. Government. Like a local council, a school board, yeah, then yeah, go get on your county council. And my response to that is, no, you don't. Um, you have to have the skill set and the decision making and the ability to think and all of the, you know, all the things that are important to it. But one of the things, you know, how, you know how they say misery loves company. Oh yeah, scientifically okay. proven. Government <laughs> likes government. Yeah, scientifically proven. <laughs> yeah, you know, government grows more government. Okay? Instead of being run like a business, government is run. I mean, in, in Delaware, the single largest employer in this state is the state. Yeah. That is not an economic boom. Yeah. That's a problem. 
And, you know, and, and it's just, I mean, it's a huge philosophical difference about kind of the direction of where we are and what we should be doing. And, you know, and, um, yeah, people may, may, uh, I, I will tell you fewer and fewer people are discounting me. Um, but you know, people may discount it and say, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. There's, and, there's literally zero. I, I don't know. I shouldn't say literally. Right. But like, if anyone listens to you for whatever this hour and 14 so far, there's, I, I can't conceivably have someone having an argument to say, you know what? She just doesn't know enough. <laughs> like how could you yeah. say that listening to you talk about and we haven't even gotten into actually specifics of a candidacy and platform man we've just been talking about what you've been through arguing law I, I, to get here yeah, yeah to get here yeah oh but i mean but i think it's important because when i'm talking to i mean it it, it it kind of explains how i got here and why i feel like i'm qualified for this I mean, mm -hmm. they, you know, and I think that that will resonate with people. I mean, people like the idea of the story of the person who is self-made, who has, you know, I mean, I was a paralegal who went to law school, who created my own law firm, who, you know, then, you know, created a book of business from nothing, who then added a partner who, I mean, I, I, I've, I've done a chronology and a progression. Yeah. And, you know, yes, it's, you know, it's abrupt that it's happening this way. But as I said to somebody else, I said, we don't have time. Yeah. That's the problem. We are at a tipping point in this nation and in this state. For sure. We don't have time. We need really smart people making good decisions because Quickly. the ramifications yep. are going to, it's going to be an avalanche. Yep. It's going to be, yeah, that's the biggest fear, at least for me, is the economic avalanche and then the unforeseen consequences that come along with that is my right. thing where I'm like, whoa. I mean, it, right. it could get really Not, bad really quick. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's yeah, one of the things is we are like, um, yeah, frogs in boiling water. Oh uh, yeah, right. And you know, and I, I saw something on uh, on Facebook. Oh dear, you know, uh, that it, it's a guy who's dressed kind of like a joker who was saying it took four months, and he goes through this whole kind of litany of how we as Americans and 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 it's it wasn't specific to Delaware, you know, have just let everything erode away. We've you know, and and I uh, in a really kind of twisted and sarcastic way, they did a really good job of scaring the hell out of us, right? Um, all of us we all became incredibly compliant and have accepted yeah. that we can be told what we can wear, who we can talk to, how far apart we have to be. All of the things that you would have just never thought was possible has happened in months. Yeah. Did it quick. Did it, did quick. it quick. And then it was amazing how the message pivoted from flatten the curve to, we just need time for ventilators to, for extra hospital rooms for ICUs. And then right. it's like, well, okay, well, and, and I get the hospital spikes, right? Like I, I've seen that in certain states, right. but at the same time, you're like, but now we've had so much time to build the infrastructure to deal with this disease, I would think. And right. now we could be to the point of personal choice where like, if you do have people who are at risk, do, like I, I'm very much in favor of most people, if they have people in risk in their home, will take the precautions because they don't want those people to die. Right. <laughs> like, and exactly. I, and, and I feel I don't know. It's it, yeah. it doesn't seem as complicated. And it seems like it has been over politicized. Um, well, and we've quarantined the healthy. Yes. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, help me to get a sense of your campaign. And I was trying to do like that cool little radio add-in where the plugs or you can transition in a <laughs> awkward, like intentionally awkward way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and oh so subtle, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not to call it out or anything. Don't bring any attention to it. 
<laughs> well, and I think we've kind of been, we've danced around a couple of different things. Uh, not, not intentionally danced around, but we've sort of touched on things. Right. Um, I, I think that for, all right. So when I started this, the, I, I had a, I, I, I used a, um, an, an acronym energy and I made it an acronym and the first E and, and part of that was based on the fact that I have energy. I mean, I have passion about <laughs> what needs to happen here and I, you know, I have a lot of energy that I'm putting into the race and, you know, and trying to uh, energize the electorate to see that you, you can be excited about an election. It doesn't all have to be coming from a place of uh, discontent and negativity. You, I mean, we, mm. we still have the, the power of the ballot box is, great... is kind of what I'm doing. So with energy, the first E was, uh, is related to the economy, uh, and, I'll, and I'm, what I'm going to do is give what all of them are, and then kind of work backwards. So sure. e, the first E was economy. The N is neighborhoods. The second E is education. The R is restore the republic. The G is governmental control, and the Y is you. As in, we need every you know we need everybody to kind of be involved. Uh, what is not in there that has since become probably my number one issue cannabis. is actually, no, actual, what'd you say? I said cannabis. I was just kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Although there is somebody who was asking me about that, you know, and I, and, and uh, I answered it and I'm happy to answer it here too. But I said, you know, and uh, it's not the issue of this election. We have so many things that are bigger than that. And, you know, but, but for some people it is the issue. Uh, the uh, is law and order. Actually, uh, the, I, I think that what has happened with the uh, you have a First Amendment right to protest that is protected speech, but riots, violence, things like that are not. And you know, and I I think that the governor has not uh, nipped it in the bud and has actually undermined the you know law enforcement. And, you know, and then uh, what the attorney general has done, he can't control that, but he also hasn't spoken out against it. I mean, when she gets a letter of no confidence from you know, the three top agencies in the state uh, saying you're undermining us and we don't feel like you have our back, that, that's a problem. And, yeah. you know, and it sends a, a very bad message to people who want to break the law that, you know, that they're going to be above it and they're not going to get in trouble for it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that I've actually, um, Joe Rogan's been doing a bunch of, um, actually had a lot of, a couple of professors on about just the stress that police are under. And yes, oh I mean, what, 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 what's sparking the protests is, was, is it's horrid. Like it's murder, right? Like should never have happened, but right. you almost for, it can be easy to forget that every day for 10 to 12 hour shifts with overtime, like they're going out and they never know. It's high alert anxiety for the majority of their workday and they never get to like decompress. They, they physically, their bodies physically, or I guess it might be chemically, do not get the time they need to come down off of that stent or that tense state. And Absolutely. You, you have to understand no, that. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, one of the problems with, you know, is people tend to paint in broad strokes. Okay. Yeah. Are there bad cops? Sure. You know, and, you know, and, and they should be fired, you know, and, and yeah. if they do something that's illegal, they should be prosecuted. But, you know, what's happened here is, you know, the because of the acts of a few bad apples, you know, the uh, the the 
law enforcement in general is at risk. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that that's a mistake. It's just like any other career. You have bad teachers, you have yeah. bad correctional officers. I mean, there, there are people that are bad at their job, but you can't then say everybody who does that is bad. Yes. And, you know, and so I think that, I mean, cops might, and, and by way of full disclosure, my husband uh, was a cop back in Maryland. He actually started as an Ocean City uh, seasonal cop and then moved out to Western Maryland and Frederick and became a full-time cop out there and has been at a couple different agencies. Okay. And, you know, and, and he, we've talked about this and he's not been a cop since we moved to Delaware, but we've talked about it. And he said, people just have no idea. They've never walked a mile in our shoes and, you know, and, and how every single day your life is literally on the line. You do not know whether you're going home at the end of your shift. And, you know, and the things that you, that seem innocuous that you walk up upon that turn bad. And, you know, I mean, there's just, there is so much. And then, you know, uh, to add on top of that, you know, body cams and things like that, which I am a fan of. I think that body cams, you know, if you're not doing anything wrong, uh, then then there's no problem with a body cam. But the analysis, the micro analysis that is happening of every single yeah. word these cops are saying and what they're doing is, you know, is a pretty tough standard that very few of us would be able to maintain in and any, sign up for. In any profession. And any and like if, if your exactly. whole day as a professional were recorded, even I'm thinking about me as a waiter, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I mean, there's just, it, it's, I, I, it's a lot of scrutiny. And my fear is with the defund the police movement, that resources are going to be taken away from them and a staffing shortage is going to come where based on what I've been hearing and be, reading, they actually need more training they need more time off and you would maybe want to increase the force to allow them to have a day, maybe a day a week where they can actually decompress and do some hand-to-hand -hand assault training where you can subdue someone or some de-escalation training or some tactical, whatever the tactical training that they need. Here's your Thursday and you know, all right, two days on training day, two days on. And that can kind of break that intensity that they have to deal with day after day. It's a thought. No, I mean, it's a thought. And and one of the things here in Delaware, you know, I mean, I know that Governor Carney signed in it, you know, signed something recently about, you know, no chokeholds. Chokeholds were already, you know, not, uh, not allowed in, in, in all the different police agencies. So oh, really? a lot of this is, you know, I mean, I think that the, you know, and when I worked for the prison system, uh, training was you had mandatory, you had a week of mandatory training a year and they called it annual training. I think as a, you know, as a, as a cop, it needs to be more frequent than that. I know that they have to do their, you know, their weapons training and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the problem that we have is that the, uh, there are some really good cops who are now getting out because they don't feel like they've got the support. I mean, when your governor and your attorney general are basically saying, you know, not, not calling out and not arresting and not, you know, not trying to head off, uh, riotous mobs uh, that that's not that's not a warm and fuzzy feeling right yeah. there and you know and so i think that you know and, and there's two i mean so when when uh, the black lives matter stuff started in delaware uh, back in uh, uh, or the most recent stuff in june uh, where there was some stuff up in Wilmington and then there was stuff down in Dover. I mean, he didn't even, the, the police departments weren't even put on, you know, like on, on the ready, you know, and, and you know, to deal with, 
uh, how things turned in, you know, whether it turned into something big and, you know, and that just, uh, that feeling of, I mean, most cops, and again, we're talking that, you know, you can't say this is true for everybody really want to do the right thing and believe that they have a calling to take care of, uh, the citizenry. I mean, this is not about getting rich. They are not, (laughs) they are not getting rich being cops. And if they are getting rich, they're going to have to work themselves to the bone and work on 90 to a hundred. And I, it wouldn't even be rich, but the overtime would be the way to make good money buck. and no, but to make buck. There's true. That's yeah, true. But you're, um, you're working. You're not just getting it for nothing. <laughs> right. But you know, but most people who are cops are not doing it because, yeah. you know, it's a lucrative business. Yeah. You know, they're, they're doing it because they have a calling of some sort, you know, that, that they feel like they have a duty to, you know, to, uh, to serve, do this. Serve and, protect. and, you know, and if you have that inside and you are standing, you know, you are not given the permission and the license to head off stuff that, you know, is illegal or could turn illegal is, you know, it, it is an incredibly frustrating feeling. And I mean, I know for me, I mean, I'm an action kind of person and in standing on the sidelines and, you know, and not feeling like you have the ability to, or, or the authorization to, you know, to step in is, you know, is a problem. So, I mean, so I think that, you know, and I have done as part of uh, this candidacy, I've been on. Um, One America, I've been on the the Lars Larson uh, radio show, so a couple of national things and then local stuff uh, talking about law enforcement and, uh, and, and at the same time also talking about the vandalism of the law enforcement memorials and then also talking about kind of the removal of the statues. You know, um, uh, Caesar Rodney and you know Christopher Columbus. They're, they're not all the same, but in a way they are. They're they're kind of coming out of the same um, underbelly of uh, you know uh, riotous groups that are you know that are actually a very small minority. Uh, and I'm not talking about race here. I'm talking about minority in terms of numbers. Mm. That uh, they are you know they're controlling the dialogue. And, you know, and, and what I've said is I don't think that that is in touch with Delawareans in general. I think that Delawareans, uh, good citizens who uh, want to believe that cops are doing the right thing and are not in favor of this, you know, this kind of uh, riotous you know, mentality. And, you know, and I think people are afraid. I mean, when you are pondering driving down the highway and wondering whether a gang of people is going to hop in front of your car and stop your car on the highway and whether they're going to attack the car attack you and you know and 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 things like i mean that that's just not something that most of us are you know think about in our daily lives yeah Yeah, and you know and, and having to make that decision so you know so i'm i'm the driver and i see this happening am i hitting the person with my car or am i stopping and if i'm stopping what happens to me yeah. Um, there are, I mean, people are afraid yeah. and, you know, and that to me, if, you know, as, as the leader of the state, as the governor, you need to, um, give assurances to the citizenry that you have their back and that you understand that they're afraid and that you're going to use all of the means at your disposal in order to make sure that they feel that way. And that is not happening here. So, I mean, so that is, that has kind of become the number one issue in front of energy, um, just because it's, it's so timely with what's going on. 
but the you know, on the economy, uh, Delaware is, uh, we have a couple different things going on. Some of this is pre-COVID-19, but COVID-19 has definitely exacerbated it. Uh, but, but heading into even before COVID-19 happened, Delaware was predicted to have a recession uh, in the first and second quarter of 2020 because we don't, we don't have any growth going on. Um, and because our uh, median household income has actually gone down over the 10 years, I think it's 10 years, it's either 10 or 15 years, but it's gone from 72,000 to 58,000. So we, in, you know, we have a median income that's going down. We have no, you know, we have no growth and, uh, and, and businesses have left the state because of what I'm calling the big three. And, you know, and the big three are corporate taxes, uh, high cost of energy and regulations. And the, you know, from a corporate tax standpoint, Delaware uh, and California have uh, a almost identical corporate tax rate. Okay. But Delaware's effective tax rate is higher because we have a gross receipts tax and the gross receipts tax a lot, of, even though it says the word gross receipts, a lot of people don't realize that's that tax is assessed, whether as a business you are profitable or not. You know, it's on your gross receipts. So uh, businesses, you know, that that are losing money are still paying taxes into that gross receipts tax. Just, and, and I'm sorry that, to cut you off because I want to make sure I've never actually um, looked up for the difference. So what is the difference between a corporate tax and your gross receipt gross receipts tax? Corporate tax is kind of like, I mean, think about income tax, it's the tax rate, um, you know, that's based on your, uh, your, your uh, profitability as a business. So just okay. like on income tax, on personal income tax, if you have income, you know, you, you, you pay taxes on that. Corporate tax is, you know, whatever the profit of the business is, it's a tax rate on, on a profitability. Gross okay. receipts is not based on profitability. It's paid quarterly uh, based on the receipts of your business and is not tagged to your profit. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a I, heck of a double whammy. Wow. Um, and, you know, and, and then, you know. Can, and it, is the thinking ahead. behind it, and I'm sorry, and, and I don't want to, um, I want to give you plenty of time to talk about um, your beliefs, but it's just for my knowledge. Is part of that the fact that like a business would be able to show loss and elude taxes and that's why they try to get them on the gross? Is that the yes. thinking behind it? I, 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 I don't know that for sure, gotcha. but yes, I mean, okay. that is, it, it is a way to, uh, and, and, and when we talk about businesses showing a loss, I mean, I'm not, I, I think I used the word shenanigans earlier. I told you I love that word. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a business who's trying to, um, you know, delegitimately uh, avoid taxes. It, it, it could even be just in the natural kind of course of events, you know, your, your expenses are, um, you know, are more than your income, but it's, it's not so much that you have to shut down, but yes, you would not necessarily otherwise have uh, a tax liability. And now with the gross receipts, you're going to have that no matter what. Gotcha. Do, and, you, do you know the you know, percent and, and, of gross and, and, receipts? And, and I get it, you know, but at the same time, I mean, the, you know, it, it is kind of counterintuitive, um, but high taxes, uh, chase away businesses. What's the yeah, percent so the, that it, they have to pay on gross? Do you know? Um, it, you know, it, it, I, I, I don't know. I think okay. it's like 0.00. I'm thinking back to my business, like 0.00, uh, or 0.003 something, but you know, I'd have to look that up, gotcha. but you know, it is, you know, it, for, for big businesses, it's, you know, it's significant. And, you know, and the, um, with the corporate and, and it is a, uh, I, 
a progressive number ba- you know, the, based on the, the number of receipts that you have. So the percentages are different okay. um, based on kind of what level of re- where you are on the receipts. Um, but what's happened is because of the, you know, the taxes, the, and then on, on energy, uh, here in Delaware back in, it was about 2010, they started a, something called the renewable portfolio standard. And, you know, most people know it as, you know, wind farms. It's not exclusively wind farms. There's also solar and, you know, and other alternative energies, but there is a, tax that is being assessed on energy on energy in two different things one is the renewable portfolio standard rps and then the other is there's actually what's called a carbon tax uh you know that that is being assessed and you know they through the general assembly when they when it originally kind of came through it was it was i'm going to use the word contemplated for lack of a better word that it was going to be capped at three percent but it's not you know, they, you know, there are some business, you know, some numbers, I mean, I've heard upwards of 20%. I've heard 12%. It's, you know, I, I, um, my business, I, I don't track it in my business. You know, I mean, I can tell you, I mean, but this is not just businesses. This is affecting everybody in the state. Anybody who is, you know, has an electric bill or a power bill is, is paying into this. Mm. And, you know, and it is, it makes it so that the energy costs, and again, I'm talking about businesses here when they're kind of going down the list, trying to decide, am I going to stay in Delaware? Am I going to leave Delaware? Or am I going to come to Delaware? There are check boxes. Okay. Corporate tax rate, you know, Ooh, energy cost. That's going to cost me more there than it's going to cost me someplace else um that that's a problem and you know and the uh and then the third piece of it is what's called you know are the regulations and regulations there's there's two different pieces to this one is just you know i mean a lot of people you know think about the governor and think about you know that's the head of the state but there are also uh, agencies that you know that uh the, the governor makes the appointments to the heads of these agencies and i mean there i can give you two denrec and delta uh and, and most people when they hear that kind of go Ugh, you know because <laughs> they've heard of you know a lot of power in you know, in denrec and delta and you know and you you know, things that affect your day-to-day lives, the use of your property, the, you know, that, um, and, and for businesses trying to uh, comply with all of the regulations and the various regulations, and, and it's a totally different conversation about whether there are particular regulations that are better than other ones. There's a teaser, a whole other podcast we could do. What, what, <laughs> what regulations are good and which ones are bad? But, you know, but regulations strangle, uh, you know, can strangle off businesses. And it's particularly difficult for small businesses because they don't have the means, the lawyers and, you know, the, the uh, wherewithal to kind of navigate all of that. Um, so the, so in the last 10 years, businesses, uh, have, you know, there was a, and I don't have my notes in front of me, but I know, I mean, there was still some auto, uh, industry stuff that was here. There was still some plastics. There were some different companies that, I mean, there's been some pretty significant jobs that have left the state in the last 10 to 15 years. And that is actually why the median income has gone down because the jobs that left were actually good paying jobs. Hmm. And, you know, and now your average goes down because you don't have those, uh, those going on. Now you take all of that and then you take what we have right now with COVID-19 huge thing that is not, that I haven't even talked about is now we have businesses, 
um, that have been shut down for a fiscal quarter at least that aren't going to reopen. Or if they do reopen, they're reopening um, under restrictions of you know, how many patrons they can have and stuff like that. So the businesses that don't reopen are not, obviously not going to be paying into the gross receipts population. The businesses that are reopening and are limping along at 60% or 30% or whatever you know, phase they, they fall into, they're paying their gross receipts tax. So they're, and their bills haven't gone to 60%, but yeah. their income has. And can I just talking to a small business owner who's actually in Milton, Delaware, she filed for the, um, the business loan, the federal, the the paycheck protection. Yes. So she filed for that. She received it. Her accountant helped her out with it. But something that I didn't realize at the time, I would almost assumed that though it said loan, I thought it would just kind of be forgiven since it's a pandemic. I really thought the businesses would just get like the, the stimulus check kind of a thing. Right. And, and she does it like she has to apply to get it forgiven and she's hoping. And if not, I think yep. she had to pay it back within in full, like within two years. And I'm, I may be misspeaking on that, but like, and then I'm like, oh my God, there's even a deadline as yep. to when you have to pay that money back at, and you don't even know when you're going to actually be able to go full tilt. You might yep. not be able to for a year. Who knows? I was blown away by that. Blown away totally by true. that. Totally true. And she and she's and, a hairdresser. It's a salon. So she's yeah. like, yeah, basically I can start charging like fifteen more dollars for a haircut and stuff. <laughs> and then all my customers are gonna go away because no one can afford it. Yeah. No, oh. it's totally true. And and the paycheck protection program, um, you know, uh my firm, we also applied for it. And uh because we didn't uh when when the uh restrictions started, the um legal services were uh fell under under essential. Um, which I'm thankful for. Uh, it meant that our employees, uh, you know, didn't have to take a, a hit. Now, again, a totally different conversation. They could have actually probably made more money on unemployment. And kudos to them for, you know, continuing to work and, you know, and, and not collecting unemployment. But, you know, the but with the paycheck protection, it is totally true. You you have to apply for it to be forgiven, and uh, and it has been a moving target. They've been, uh, you know, and and I get it. I mean, you. When you're trying to do a wide scale relief program, you're kind of uh, figuring out stuff as you go along. But what I mean by moving target is originally when it started, you had to use 75% of the funds for uh, payroll exclusively, and then 25% could be rent uh, and and, uh, utilities and things like that. They shifted it and increased the percentage that could be, I think it went to 60-40, but the uh, application, and then they've also spread out when when it originally started, you had to use it all within eight weeks, Uh, and then that was was really freaking people out, so they broadened it so you could use it for up to 24 weeks, but it is is a loan. It's a very low interest loan, but it is a loan with a start date and an end date, and and uh, yeah. Even the fact that it has interest, to me, I'm like, are you kidding? So, so the bank, I guess it would be the money would go to the federal government and it would be like, so they're going to profit off of telling you, you can't, it doesn't go to the federal government. It goes to the, the way that the program worked is they rolled it out through local lenders. So the bank that is, you know, that you got the loan through, they're the ones who are going to get the 1%. It's one, I mean, so it's 1% or at least the one I saw was 1%. Okay. Um, so pretty low, but still, I mean, again, you are, you know, now I still think though that, you know, for businesses, I think everybody, uh, can, uh, no one's really looking for a handout. At least not my, my experience has not been that they're looking for the handout. 
Um, the uh, this is this is a, you know, a a catastrophic thing that happened, and you know, and I think all of us can kind of go, okay, it's really messed up that it happened, but how are we going to kind of bounce back from this? And you know, and if that means a low interest loan in order to stay on my feet, then you know, so be it. It's you know, I mean, it's kind of the cost of doing business, but for a lot of companies, that's not even a choice. So, you know, so we have almost, the last number I saw was just over 16% unemployment uh, in Delaware. And people uh, and that have been on unemployment. There's the federal, there's the state. You know that right now with the federal, uh, it ended July 31st. They're uh, in Congress right now. Uh, they're fighting over whether it's going to continue, how long it's going to continue, how much money they're going to give. But a lot of people actually opted not to work because they uh, were making more money on unemployment okay and their jobs have either shut down because their employees didn't come back to work or they have figured out how to operate on a skeleton staff and are not going to have the job you know now that your unemployment is ended you want to go back to work and your job's going to say yes yeah, sorry mm. not going to happen um i can't afford to take you back now so I think that we're going to have a, you know, a, a very large pool of people coming into the fall uh, that are unemployed and, you know, and uh, not necessarily uh, and not enough jobs to go around because, uh, and I've heard different numbers, but 30% is a, you know, is a really sound number. And I've heard even higher than that of restaurants that aren't going to reopen and small businesses that are not going to reopen. So and, you know, and, and then you, you factor in unemployment and then you also factor in that those businesses that are limping along uh, are not paying as much into the tax base because they don't have the receipts. Yeah. Uh, and you know, so it's not just a fiscal quarter of, of production that we lost. It's longer than that because they're, you know, they're not back at full operation. So we are going to have a revenue issue uh, in, you know, coming into the winter of next year because the, you know, they, they pass a budget because it has to under the Delaware Constitution, and they use a revenue number that was not adjusted for the fact that we are down a fiscal quarter of production. Mm. So there's, I mean, th there's going to be a deficit. And, you know, and how that's going to be navigated and, you know, and what um, the leadership is going to do about that. It, you know, it's, I mean, so people have asked me, what are you doing in your first hundred days? I'm like, we're going to be looking at the, where the expenses are and, you know, and having to figure out a way to either claw back obligated stuff before, because the fiscal year goes from July 1 to June 30. You know, we don't we're going to have to make some adjustments because it's you know if you don't do that then the deficit's just going to kind of grow and you know, and you know, and and uh, mushroom into the next year so it's I mean economy um, you know is a big deal and, and and it's a big deal on a bunch of different levels that you know are, are that are going to hit the average citizen uh, as well as companies and businesses and you know and the the way that you grow the economy uh, is to lower taxes. Yeah, and that's and, what my mind went there. Speaking of trying to lower taxes, but how do you do that if you're running at a deficit? I mean, exactly. you would have to slash like whatever. It's not twice as much, but it, yeah. it's twice as much. <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, so, so what you have to do then is you have to make a decision. You know, if the revenue is not there, then you have to cut expenses. 
And, you know, and, and those are going to be hard decisions, you know, and, and one of the things that, you know, when you look at the state budget, the 40% of the state budget is education, 40%. And, you know, and, uh, and I was talking to a group yesterday about education and say, you know, and, uh, and, and basically, you know, cause education actually also falls into attracting businesses to the state. People, you know, the employees want their kids to get a good education. Yeah. And Delaware, we have, we're in the top five for cost per student and um, way down on the list in terms of standardized testing. So we have the highest cost and a really low production or low production isn't the right word, but performance, yeah. you know, low performance. Uh, that That's not a good recipe. And, you know, and, and the uh, administration, you know, there's, there's lots of reasons for that. The, you know, the, within the education system, we have a very splintered system because we have so many school districts. Uh, you have administration and you have teachers and administration has grown. Teachers have not, you know, student populations have. And, you know, so you've got a whole lot of money going to this, but a lot of it is being obligated at kind of the administrative level instead of at the teacher level. So, you know, so one, one of the things that I said to the group I was talking to is I said, you know, we need to push the money down, you know, downstream to the classrooms. You have teachers who are um, who are paying their own money or, you know, doing fundraisers in order to have basic stuff for their students because they're not getting it from, uh, you know, from the budget. But 40% of the state budget is going to education. So where the heck is the money going? To seminars. And, to, huh? semina- to seminars. So the administrators yeah. can like go to places like San Diego to retreats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that where you're like, man. And it, it it's funny. And I know you had said you wanted to go in order. And if I spelled <laughs> energy right, neighborhoods would have been next. But I'm not the best <laughs> speller. Um, but since you were talking about Actually, can I pause you just to go back to business before we go on to education? Because I did have a, a question. Okay. So, and it might be impossible. I don't know if it's impossible for you to answer because I don't know how much information you get uh, as a non-incumbent. Like how much can Correct. you actually get your hands on compared to the whatever documents not that a, they have? Not a lot, but right? go ahead. We'll, well, I'll try. I'm just kind of curious about if it's corporate tax, gross tax, the energy tax. How much of that can the governor actually affect? Um, it's so, a good question. And I mean, and this is where it kind of gets into, you know, uh, philo- you know governmental philosophy okay, with the General Assembly. Okay? I mean, so so a lot of this is uh, is statutorily driven. Uh, and, you know, and, and right now in uh, the, both houses of the General Assembly are have uh, Democrat majorities. Uh, that said, I, I believe, uh, you know, that if you, as, you know, as in this case, a Republican governor, you know, that I don't think that I'm dead in the water because I have, uh, two, uh, Democrat houses that I'm working with. And, and part of that is because I think that, um, Legis- I mean, I, at the end of the day, what I hope is that you know, that everybody wants you know what's best for Delaware and wants Delaware to be prosperous. Okay, so I think from a philosophical level, the governor affects a lot, but I think that you also have the ability as the governor to influence and nudge uh, the uh, the legislature. 
you know, and and you know, one of the things that uh, that I think has been kind of interesting about uh, President Trump since he came in is you know he has uh, kind of he has has talked to the American people and kind of shed a light on some of the you know how things kind of operate in the background. And I, I think that that's powerful. So I think that in Delaware, the you know if if the legislature is not on board with me about something, I you know I think that I have the ability to take it to the people and let them push their you know their individual representatives and their individual senators to uh, to get with the program. And you know, and the because the fact of the matter is somebody is always running for office. Every two years, there's an election and, you know, and you have a constituency that you have to answer to. Uh, Now, Delaware is kind of difficult and unique because we have three counties and it's like three countries. They, you know, I mean, (laughs) philosophically, I mean, it it is very, very different. Uh, It it just is, you know, they, you know, I've heard it described as uh, Wilmington you know, is, is like Philadelphia, Kent County is like Indiana and Sussex County is, you know, pick a Southern, you know, a, 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 a Southern, you know, big city. Yeah, Texas. And, you know, and, and there's some truth to that. Yeah. And you know, so from a general assembly standpoint, you know, you definitely have different demands from different constituencies, but, uh, you know, long answer to your question is I think, you know, actual, yeah, it, it, it's more influence and, uh, you know, and, and nudging than actually being able to, you know, to, I mean, to, to write the bill, yeah. you know, that is, you know, and you, you can't do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and that, that's a, I mean, to me, that's a make sense answer. If you're like, Hey man, I've been talking to businesses and they tell me, and I looked it up. So according to revenue.delaware.gov, gov, the gross receipts tax can range from 0.0945% to 0.7468%, depending on the business activity. So you're, you're looking at almost a full a quarter of a percent that you got to pay. So whatever you have a hypothetical business and they're like, look, man, they want to come or, you know, I've spoken to small businesses. I've done a study and I feel if we can really get this gross receipts tax to 0.8 or something like that, I need you to be on board. Can we get on board? Can we bring businesses in? These are good jobs. And people are like, nope, we want that money for these kind of programs. You seem to be the kind of person to be like, Hey guys, here was my thought. These people wanted to spend the money this way. I think it's better spent this way. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. I mean, I, yeah. and then at least, but at least voters would know where people stand because honestly, I'm, I'm decently informed, I would think maybe. And like, I have no idea. I had no idea about like even the difference between, I've heard them, but I never really actually thought about them and thought about the effect. Well, and one of the things that I am, you know, when you start talking about kind of uh, skill sets and, you know, and things, uh, my, you know, my undergrad is in human resource management and I uh, turned that in, I was a trainer. Um, I, I have a teaching bit. I just do, you know, I mean, it is, and I mean, so when I did my call-ins on WGMD, I was teaching, you know, when I'm on the law show on tipping the scales of justice, you're teaching and, you know, and I know how to break things down into bites that are understandable. Yeah. That is powerful. That's very if powerful. You're the governor. You know, I mean, yes. that, that's incredibly powerful and, you know, and, and an informed electorate is important. And, you know, and so I think that, you know, I mean, because one of the things that people ask, you know, I mean, I, I do not think as the governor, you, I mean, your job as the governor, you are working for the people. 
it, people are not working for you. And I, I, I really feel like um, politicians have lost that, you know, have, have lost that and don't understand that they are there to represent the interests of, you know, of their constituents. And, you know, and so there is this hierarchy where people don't feel like they can um, be heard at, you know, at an executive level. I, I think that's wrong. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to give out give out my cell phone to you know to Delaware, <laughs> um, you know, so that they can call me when they have you know the, uh, over a particular issue. But one of the things that I am interested in is you know having town halls, even once I'm governor, having you know kind of engaging with the constituents to kind of find out what's going on. I mean, the stuff as a candidate that I am finding out from just kind of having conversations with people uh, is amazing. And, you know, and if you are, I mean, my, my whole thing about running is I want to make the state prosperous and better than it is. You know, we are, we are in this, you know, this situation where the, you know, we're, we're growing government, we're growing state government, we're growing, you know, I mean, we are going to be under the government's thumb. And that's not what our founding fathers wanted. I just, it is not. Again, huge philosophical difference uh, politically. There are people who think that, you know, that's no big deal, that the government's job is to take care of us. I don't believe that. You know, I think, you know, that that is not government's job. And, you know, and, uh, you know, so I... Yes, we skipped in, but it's no big deal. I knew when I went to the second E uh, that that's where I was. But but the the neighborhood thing. Can I? And I'm sorry, good... Miss I, no. I, Julianne. I'm sorry, but I had just two more things just for myself. The energy, <laughs> <laughs> the carbon tax is that a state thing? The energy tax, or is that like from the federal mandated to the state that they have yeah, to collect some state. sort of money? It's... So the state can also state also sets that. They do. And then finally, for the agencies, when you had mentioned Denrec and Dell Dot, yep. so like department heads. Are those appointed by the governor? Are those voted on by legislation? Is it, how does, how do they're those... appointed? They're appointed by the governor. Okay. So then that would be one area of control that the governor, but then I guess if they're following their regulations, are those regulations legislative, like as in laws or do those regulations, can they change based on who's in charge of the department? Very good question. And yes, they can change. So the, you know, the regulations kind of operate like quasi laws, but they are not, you know, they, they are not um, generated, promulgated is the word, oh. you know, in, you know, in the General Assembly. So, yes, they, you know, the uh, and depending on who the agency head is absolutely makes a difference in the kind, the number of reg- regulations that are coming out of a particular agency. Um, so one of the things nationally that that Trump has done that a lot of people don't know is, you know, he uh, his his administration has cut regulations in a lot of different, you know, different areas. And, you know, and, and that actually helped the economy kind of uh, uh, grow because it, 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 and this is my visual. OK, but think of regulations like I would say weeds, but like vines. You know, Mm -hmm. how they, you know, and that they grow up a tree and, you know, and can strangle off pieces of a tree. Yeah. If you've ever seen ivy grow, um, think of regulations that way on a business. Okay. So if you cut off some of the strands of ivy, it allows that limb to grow. That is, I mean, so so that piece of it, absolutely. The governor has a, you know, has a say in and, you know, and uh, can, can affect policy 
based on the appointments for those particular agencies. Absolutely. Okay. And it's funny because I started thinking about it when you were talking about the sheriff's issue and how they had to, uh, how the code was changed in order to maybe yep. strengthen that case. I'm like, okay, well, those regulations, do they fall under that? And then, so then the people who get appointed, are, are they there for like, it wouldn't be term limits, but like if you're the head of DENREC, are you reapplying for your job every year? Is it like a five-year appointment? Do you just get a job, like a review? Does it get flipped over every time there's a new governor? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, it's, you know, you, you serve at the pleasure of the governor. Okay. So oh, the wow. uh, so so basically, if you if you're brought in as an agency head, you're brought in, um, you know, for the term that the governor is there. Now they don't automatically, uh, you know, shift them at the change of an administration. And since we have had Democrats, at, you know, heading in the governor's mansion for almost thirty years, <laughs> um, you know, some of those those appointments stay in place the way that uh, you know, and and some don't. Um, as you might imagine though, if there is actually a change in the political party, uh, you know, at at the governor's mansion, that that there would be a, um, a, a a natural shakeup at the, uh, you know, at the administrative level. Gotcha. And then, cause I'm just going in order with the notes that I had, as far as COVID for businesses, I'm kind of interested. We went over the federal loans and stuff. Is there anything that the state can do, especially if they're facing a deficit to help these businesses get through the pandemic? Um, yes and no. And, <laughs> and, and some of that is still being determined. Okay? Okay. I mean, there is uh, the, the aid packages that are coming from the federal government. There, there is aid coming into the state from the feds that the state can kind of meet out. Okay. Um, so, so there, are, there is going to be an, and there, there is funding that could be used for some of, you know, for some of the COVID related stuff. Um, and then within the, you know, so, so the state has to make a choice on how it's going to use, you know, use that, you know, that money and, okay. you know, and whether or not you can reapply for it. And, and some of that, again, is, you know, is I'm going to use the word secret for lack of a better word, you know, that, that, uh, we as citizens don't necessarily know about, right. um, but the, uh, it's still kind of being determined what's going to happen with these businesses, you know, and, you know, and, and whether or not, um, and, and for some, they are just uh, making the decision, you know, because it's taking, so this has gone on for so long. Uh, I think for a lot of businesses, when this started, they were like, ah, I could do anything for a couple of months. But now, I mean, this started in March and we're in August. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, they, they've kind of realized that it takes, you know, that the aid or whatever it's going to be, they would have to survive until that is figured out. It hasn't been figured out. And, you know, they can't survive. So they're just shutting down. So yeah. unfortunately, I think for some of it, it's, you know, we're at the point of no return for some, you know, for some small businesses. And, you know, and then it's going to be what's going to happen with those displaced employees. You know, are they, you know, what are we going to do about that? And, you know, and what are the requirements going to be? You know, because if they, you know, and, you know, and, and do we then um, uh, do some, I mean, there's one of the things that, uh, you know, on a national level, there's something that's called opportunity zones that is, you know, is uh, uh, tax incentives for uh, growing uh, businesses, you know, kind of organic, organically growing businesses, whether we're going to do something like that at the state level. And I'm still kind of, I mean, I have reached out to uh, some seriously egghead people who, do, you know, who do this, who, you know, uh, to kind of come up with what that plan is going to be. Um, yeah. And so I, I can't go into too much specifics at this point, but gotcha. I'm, you know, I mean, I know pre 
uh, you know, general election, I have to kind of roll that out so that people have an idea of, you know, exactly what I have in mind for how we're, you know, what we're going to do. Okay. And I, that's very understandable. Um, cause in my head as, as a peon near the beach, I'm like, um, so if we just got into phase one and told people to come here, it would help. But mm-hmm. you realize the risk of COVID spreading and the freedom and, and, again, you're weighing all that. Then the other, only other thing I could think of is like forgiveness of taxes or whatever it is, the revenue the government gets from these businesses, you allow them, maybe you audit it so that they have to like reinvest or that they are able to maintain their employees and the doors open. And now they can plan, Hey businesses, you're going to have a year. I'm making these numbers up a year of no tax we're going to figure it out on the state level, but now you can budget for your year because businesses are so like, they need the duration to understand, yeah. right. How to yeah. make a profit. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a, the, the problem right now is it's kind of a, it, it, or it, it's a moving target. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, again, I think that everybody could have, you know, that if we had, if there had been, and I understand the nature of the virus, there are, it's very, there is no certainty, yes. you know, and, you know, and um, so it's not like back in March, we could say everything's going to be good to go by the middle of May. I, I understand that. Okay. But I also, philosophically, you know, the, uh, it, what, what your goal is makes a difference in what you're trying to do. And what I, I'm talking about the governor here. So I, you know, he has said his, you know, his benchmark is stopping the spread of the virus. Yeah. And, you know, positive test results. Well, uh, I, I get it. Okay. But there, you know, there's all sorts of data that suggests that it's not a killer for the vast majority of the population. You know, so we don't do this for the flu. You know, we don't do, you know, and I'm not saying that COVID-19 is the flu, but what I'm saying is I think that this has, you know, we are, we are chasing, we're going for a goal here and chasing something here that, um, is, is not, doesn't have to be as, as scary as it is. Yeah. And it's interesting because you had brought that up before the positive test results versus the hospitalization rate and mortality rate. And mortality. And it, it, and it really is like, man, could you go, could you go phase one with face masks and six feet and maybe be a little lenient on that six feet. Maybe we go four feet (laughs) or something like that, or you have to have a fan to keep the air going, right? Like you get an air scrubber of some sort and you know what? Guess what? You can apply to the state and we'll reimburse you to upgrade your air quality filtration system or something like that to me. I'm like, I feel there would be a median, but this 5% benchmark and the, the, the hyper, like the concern of being on these quarantine lists for neighboring states, I don't get that. I don't get why we care if I go to Virginia and I have to quarantine for 14 days. What, why does that matter to Delaware? Well, and, and, to me, the irony that the governor is mad that we're on a quarantine list somewhere when everybody who came here had to be quarantined <laughs> for 14 days is, you know, is, is not lost. That's I mean, so point. the, I, I think that's hilarious. You know, you, Governor Carney, deprived people who own property yeah. in Delaware and pay into the tax yeah. base under, you know, under property tax and all of that stuff. You denied them the right to come to their property. Yeah. I had a hard time. I had a hard time wrapping my head around that. At first, you know, you were scared. And then I'm like, wait, 
But if they pay taxes, don't they have a right to, even if they don't live here full time, like they do have a right to be here if you're paying taxes, right? You own yeah. the property. No, I mean, I, one would think, but I mean, so, so, so the whole, you know, I mean, and, and, and again, I'm talking very, very broad numbers here, but you know, 520, I don't know what the latest number is, but a little over 500, you know, fatalities, okay? population of a million, do the math. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is, you know, this is not something that we should be shut down over. And, and we never got to hospital capacity in this state, never even got close. And, you know, and, and of course there are people that are saying, well, it's because we shut everything down. You know, right. I'm not so sure about that. You know, so if the masks work, okay. Yeah. And, and you, know, you have to wear these masks. Okay. Then why, you know, then if the masks work, why are we not operating at full capacity right now? Yeah. I, I, Come on. It's one or the other. Yeah. You know, and, and instead what we've got is, well, you know, the masks work. You must wear these masks. But, you know, but also we're not going to let you operate at full capacity because we want to make sure that it doesn't spread. Well, then which is it? You know, if, if the masks work, then we should be able to operate at full capacity. If the yeah. masks don't work, then we don't operate at full capacity. But then why the heck are we wearing masks? And man, I've, I've, I do try to get takeout pretty often. Cause again, I'm a restaurant guy. I live in a community area. It's a resort area, but right. something that I've been startled by is the additional cost put on businesses because they have to reprint everything. Like every day they're printing stacks of menus and the toner yes. toner alone, they, they don't have salt and pepper shakers. So they have to buy extra ramekins. Oh yeah. I mean no, like he, all these I mean, little is... all to go thing, like they don't charge you extra money for to go, but you're take, you're not, you're no longer using a plate that they can wash and reuse. You're taking a product that they probably paid almost more for and are throwing right. it away. And the waste that comes along with it, along with the additional yeah. cost. And then most of the restaurants, like the hours, and I don't think this is mandated, but the hours are reduced. Like they're really oh, cut yeah. down on hours. And you're like, I, in my head, I just can't add up the numbers aside from helping these businesses as a person. I guess the governor would have the authority to be like, hey, we're going phase one, state of emergency over. And man, just keep the mask on. Can, can we just help each other out? Keep a mask on phase yeah. one. Can we not have large crowds? Something like yeah. that. I, yeah. But man, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, so people, you know, if we are still under a state of emergency and I am elected, the state of emergency ends when I'm sworn in. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> with, not with where things are. Now, again, if it changes, you know, I mean, it, it, but, you know, but with where we are right now, with what we know right now, we, you know, the people who are afraid and are part of the vulnerable population, stay home, wear your mask, do what you need to do. Okay. But by, but everybody else, yeah, you know, we are, I mean, this is just, it's just catastrophic. I mean, it is, you know, and, and then you know, talking about the different counties and, and I mean, businesses all over the state have been, you know, have been impacted, but, um, the beach community, uh, has been, uh, decimated i mean this is just you know i mean when you when you start talking about how the beach community makes it's you know the nut for the year in a three-month period yeah and that the three-month period is you know we're we're almost done with it they're not operating anywhere near full capacity and you know and and when the um when uh, the beaches weren't open, when the short-term rental ban wasn't lifted for Memorial Day weekend, that was a you know a huge whammy. And then you take the um, then the Fourth of July when he did the bar closure uh, amendment 
yeah. and was and was really unclear about what exactly was going on. I mean, like the headline of the paper said, "Rest, you know, uh, bars closed." You know, and uh, so there were a lot of people who thought that the beach community, the zip codes that he highlighted in that, that the restaurants were closed, not just the bar area, but the yeah. whole restaurant was. I mean, the, the the messaging has been really unclear, but I mean, there's two big there's two big weekends in the you know in the beach season. Memorial Day and Fourth of July. Yeah. And what? and I my heart goes out to the college kids too, who can make oh. ten or fifteen grand waiting tables, yeah. being bartenders. And then I'm thinking yeah. like if they're to like tuition, man. Like some what yeah. are you gonna do now? Take a loan out where yeah. you are used yeah. to working for that yeah. money. Yeah, I mean it's it's enough. It, it's heartburn inducing to think about uh you know the, the fingers of this and and how you know how um far reaching this shutdown has been. All right, so I'm going back on to end real quick. Good, no, good no, for you. you know, and, and Keep me on big, task. <laughs> yeah, no, well, because I, you know, I've got probably, you know, I, I, I can't do this for another two hours. I've probably got a half hour, Perfect. you know, that I that I can play with here. Um, you know, the uh, the the neighborhood thing is twofold. One is the uh, kind of it, it's talking about kind of messaging and you know and not operating at thirty thousand feet, but operating at ten feet. You know that you know that elections can be won um, at a grassroots level. That you know if you talk to individual voters and those individual voters tell their friends. I mean it 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 is possible to spread a message, and you know and, and to get people energized about the election. So that so neighborhoods uh, is you know is a big deal you know in the in the overall kind of spreading of the message, but it's also important because it's you know it, it's kind of to bring the focus to what I'm calling the forgotten citizens of Delaware. I feel like, and I am not alone in this, that you know, that government is out of touch with the with the citizenry. And, you know, and that has been entirely exploited in the COVID-19 context. I mean, so the, I, I, you know, we are being told that they know what's best for us, that we were sent to our rooms for, for almost two months. You know, I just, the half of March, you know, into the middle of May, I mean, businesses, phase one did not start until way into May, really June 1. And, you know, and, uh, you know, so the, uh, that's a problem. That's just, that's a problem when you're feeling like your elected officials are not doing anything, um, except handing down dictates about how and where you can do things. And I also know that from talking to people that uh, they were very frustrated. I mean, the General Assembly, the representatives and senators, uh, the General Assembly wasn't in, wasn't meeting when this was going, you know, when this started. Um, and uh, that is problematic. <laughs> Our session is from January to June. Uh, and for April and May, there were you know, no meetings and, you know, no, no legislating going on. That is so weird. Uh, yeah. And, and when they came back, they came back via Zoom. And there was a big, big kind of debate constitutionally about whether that was even proper, you know, and, you know, and, and whether they were, you know, the bills that they were discussing were going to be a uh, substantive or kind of more pro forma, you know, uh, stu- you know, or, or you know, things that have to happen, you know, budget has to pass. I mean, there are things that, you know, that kind of have to happen. Uh, and, you know, and the, and the 
promise and quotation marks that was made was that there weren't going to be you know, substantive bills. Well, mail-in ballots is certainly a substantive bill. And that passed via Zoom uh, and, and, and absolutely impacts the election. It impacts, I mean, talk, it impacts everybody's lives. Can I ask, I don't want to say you're bothered by the Zoom, but why is, why does it matter if they're Zoom or they're in person? Um, I don't know that I am bothered by it. What I'm saying is that the constitution talks about how, where they meet Okay, uh, and and whether or not that meant that they had to meet in person, um, but it also what at least in the context of Delaware, what it did is the um, the discussion uh, where the public can be involved mm-hmm. in you know at, at the committee level and you know and and be uh, engage in the dialogue that doesn't that didn't happen. Uh, uh, it, it was it was really just the you know just the legislators, gotcha. but but I know that a lot of people are you know are are mad you know at, at the legislature for not um, uh, pushing back against the state of emergency, mm. and you know and I, I I have heard well well what could we do you know I mean he you know we're citizens too, and you know and you know my you know, my response to that is you can challenge it legally. I mean, in Wisconsin, the legislature challenged the, you know, challenged the governor's um, uh, authority. Now, totally different situation in Wisconsin than, you know, because here statutorily, the General Assembly gave him very broad powers that they shouldn't have done. So I don't know that they would have been successful in, you know, in a challenge with it written the way that it is. But people are disgusted that they didn't try. And there's not like the ability, like almost like a override of a veto ability, where if it gets vetoed, or he brings the governor brings up, hey, I'm going state of emergency. There's no condition that says, well, if the general assembly disagrees with that on a ninety percent vote, then oh, that's not in play now. No, now, yeah, that that could be built in. Gotcha. Um, but but the way that it's written now, no. So yeah. I mean, so they they created the kingdom. Wow. <laughs> they created it, but. You know, but that that whole kind of neighborhood thing, and you know, and so the N and then and the R, the Restore the Republic, kind of play into each other. The you know, from a from a running candidate standpoint, what I'm talking about with neighborhoods is you got to get into the neighborhoods and talk to individual voters, whether it's via Zoom or whether it's in person or whether it's Facebook or whether it's you know, pick pick your medium, podcasts. Right. You know, yeah. you got to get into them. Okay, but then the restore the republic is getting our uh, our our government to be in touch with what you know with us. Okay, um, yeah, and that's not saying that every single person has to be happy with how government is running. Yeah, that's never going to happen. But Maybe there are no. there are some big umbrella things that you know that do matter. And, you know, and, and right now, um, what I am hearing from constituents and people is, I, I, I don't feel like I have a voice at all. I feel like, you know, this is being shoved down our throat. There's nothing we can do about it that, you know, we are, you know, that we're just kind of stuck with this. And, you know, and, and that the only resolution to that is the election. So what are some of the big umbrella things? Um, Big umbrella things. I lost About, my train of thought. I, I come back. Yeah. <laughs> the government getting in touch with people, not everybody's going to be happy. I was going to interject. Of, they would be happy if we were a socialist society, by the way. That's proven. But then I was just <laughs> going to laugh at my own joke. <laughs> or no, communist. That's either true, one. man. You know, I mean, I, I, that is true. <laughs> if we go 100% and, and, communist, everyone's guaranteed to be happy. All you have to do is read any sort of George Orwell book and you'll know it. <laughs> 
Um, but <laughs> then you were talking about almost like forgotten people, but then there are some big umbrella things that I guess people that almost like a general general generalities that people yes. are looking for. And I was yep. wondering if you just had a couple I, I examples. I think that um, I, I think people want to be self-sufficient. Okay. Uh, now that again, this is it, it comes down to what's the government's job? Is the you know is the yeah? And and there is there are some big things. You know, security is you know is a uh, is a government job. Okay, they you know making sure that we are you know are safe in our state is, is a government job. Um, but the government uh, providing us with uh, with jobs, with money, with all of the different things. I think that people want to be self-sufficient. I do. Now, that's not everybody. There are some people who absolutely want a free ride. Okay, but I think that as Americans, you know, we we want to be able to excel. We want, you know, excellence should be rewarded. And, you know, and that this is, you know, and that all things do not have to be equal economically. That is socialism. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that people want, you know, a, a capitalistic society and, you know, and, and what we have here, uh, again, with the government being the biggest employer is, I mean, think about how many people are, are relying on the government for their paycheck yeah. that, yeah. you know, that creates an imbalance. So the, you know, the governor is, you know, is the boss and, you know, and, and controls the paycheck of, you know, and I do not know the exact percentage of, you know, of the working population off the top of my head. But I think that the, um, you know, in this, in the context of COVID-19, one of the big uh, umbrella things is uh, pushing back on, you know, on the governor, that people are upset that, uh, that the General Assembly basically did not uh, flex its muscles and and and, and uh, were not a cohesive unit and and even if they weren't a cohesive unit there was really there was no legal pushback i was the first person who legally challenged the state of emergency and that took till may 15th wow yeah so yeah, and, um, but it's funny again i just it's funny that they didn't put a limit on the state of emergency and it's funny that they didn't um sneak it like you should have had uh, to me like it would just be common sense if my job is to checks and balances hey man yeah. how, what percent would be a good percent if we don't agree with the state of emergency 80 percent, 70 yeah. 90 yeah. um so a quick google according to dhr.delaware.gov seventeen thousand um employees in the executive branch excluding school districts so then you would have all your teachers which is right. i believe 66 percent state 33 percent local um, and I don't know how many teachers and paras and custodians and lunch ladies right. and bus drivers, but that's a pretty big freaking number that's as well. A big, that's a big, it's so a big number. I'm going to say yeah. 30 to 40,000 easily. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. Right? And so, I, I would agree. So, I mean, so that's, that's a big number. That's a, that's a chunk of a million total people in the state <laughs> and not all million yeah. people are working, right? Are eligible we don't, to yeah, eat for working. Agreed. Exactly. So the, um, you know, so the, the, the R is that, you know, people say, oh, we're a democracy. No, we're not. We're a representative republic. And, you know, and you want to believe that your individual uh, senator or representative is, you know, philosophically, uh, you know, advocating for things that matter to you. And, you know, and now that's not to say deals, you know, deals get made. They just do. I mean, that's, you know, negotiating is okay. You know, it is okay for, uh, you know, within the general assembly for 
uh, you know, agreements to be struck that I'm going to help you on this if you help me on that. But but it's got you know, I mean, and I'm I'm not a big fan of the word transparency. I like the idea of transparency, but the word transparency has gotten so bastardized uh, hmm. in in a lot of ways. But there, I do think that when you start talking about government and you talk about you know people being able to know what's going on, that uh, doing things in the open is important. You know, because you want to have confidence that there is you know that um, that it's that things are being done legitimately. Right. Yeah. And, and so, uh, that's not necessarily happening, uh, right now. And, and, uh, and, and hasn't been, I mean, I think that there's a whole lot of things that have kind of been, you know, happening in the background, but, um, that was the R and then the G, you know, I, I and I'm, I'm moving along because again, I don't have forever and I, you know, I want to make sure I hit everything Understand. is, you know, the G is talking about governmental control and and a couple of different you know aspects to that. One is the regulations, you know, the, um, you know, and I'll give you one, you know, a DENREC one, for instance, that has to do with um, new septic systems. Okay. And. Oh, uh, man, that thing is killing. We just had to have one put in um, and man, killer. Killer expensive. Whoa. And also, and also built in that they can come onto your property and inspect it. Like whenever? Yep. No way. Yep. Even post, like after it's been yep. put in, they can just walk on in. Yep. Oh my gosh. So, um, you know, I mean, so when we start talking about regulations and, you know, and, and our day-to-day lives, the you know, governmental control, you know, government inserting itself into your life. Okay. And then again, con- COVID context, government is telling us what restaurants we can go to, when we can leave our houses, whether we have to wear a mask, what businesses we can use, um, that the, uh, that, you know, we're, we're trying to spread the, or uh, slow the spread, but we're going to shut down all of the small businesses and we're going to funnel you to Lowe's and Walmart and Home Depot uh, and concentrate you there. Um, we're going to shut down polling places because of fear of spread. And we're going to concentrate you into one or two where there's more, you know, there inherently there's more people that are going to bump into each other. I mean, uh, counterintuitive. What, what are we doing here? I mean, that's, you know, but the, the point here is that now more than ever, people are going to pay attention, I think, to governors, you know, and, and the role that the governor plays in your life. I think a lot prior to this, I think a lot of people were like, eh, Governor Schmovener, you know, didn't really <laughs> think about, you know, that, you know, how it could play into your daily life. Well, by the stroke of a pen under an, you know, a state of emergency, um, he had more power than the president of the United States over your day to day life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he with a stroke of a pen, you know, he shut down the ability for people to rent their, you know, their property, use their property. Hotels sat empty, you know, for, you know, for yeah. months, stroke of a pen. Yeah, he decided what's essential and what's non-essential in a really incredibly arbitrary way. Yeah, and you know, and and things that kind of make you go, huh? Uh, you know, are considered essential, and things that you know that are not. Yeah, I mean, it was just it's it's you know, th- there was a, a whole kind of issue about that. You know, your ability to go to church. You know, if you at church for for some people, you know, the the congregating that happens in church is you know feeds the soul. Yeah, and uh, you can't go to church. Or AA meetings. Yeah. 
That's, I mean, a lot of, a lot of addicts, man, need that consistency. That's their support group. And yeah. I understand the spread of COVID and physical distancing, but Zoom yeah. is, Zoom doesn't take the place, at least to me, it wouldn't take the place of, okay, I need to be somewhere at some time. That's, it's much easier to be like, oh, my internet was down. I couldn't get the Zoom link. You're you totally know, correct. And I mean, the, the human, the accountability uh, in, in the context of the, that kind of stuff, the, the accountability of showing up and having to do that is huge. Yeah. But there's also an element, a, you know, a human element of being face to face with support. somebody as opposed to over a computer screen. Yeah. I mean, just, they are not the same. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think that, you know, the, uh, I mean, you hear things about, you know, big brother and, you know, and um, that, uh, are, are absolutely in play. Con- contact tracing freaks me out. It really that does. Is, you know, I mean, th- there are so many things that are wrong with that in terms of um, you know governmental control and people getting into your business. I'm... And and again, they're doing it under the auspices of well, we need to stop the spread. We need to know who you've talked to. You know, I mean, if you if you couch it in quotation marks about public health. Yeah. Um, yeah. And shame on us. We all fell for it we back in March when this started. And I, even I have said I would have declared a state of emergency in March with what we were being told yeah. nationally. You know, but, you know, we have all kind of gone, you know, we're all now talking about, um, you know, elbow bumps instead of shaking hands and, you know, and, and face. I mean, we've all bought into it. And, you know, but the, you know, the contact tracing. Can, um, I, I just got to tell you, man, I am so scared that I'm going to by happen chance be a part of that. And someone's going to knock on my door with a weapon and tell yep. me to stay in for 14 days. And if you yep. leave, you're an enemy of the state or something yep. I'm, like, yep. I, or here's a bracelet you have to wear. You yep. may have been infected like that. Yep. That freaks me out. Even, I don't even know where I feel about like, Hey man, mandatory contact tracing. We're going to come by and test you just to see what happens. Like, I, I don't, I don't need, that. I write like, I, like, I don't know how I feel about that either, but I'm definitely fearful of someone knocking on my door being like, you can't leave, strap this on. We're monitoring your whereabouts. Yeah. We, and, and, and this is in the United States of America. Yeah. That, I don't know, man. That, that is, I mean, there is, I mean, so constitutionally under search and seizure, the fourth amendment, uh, you know, things like warrants, uh, and, you know, and, and the sanctity of your home and people coming onto your property and all of those things. Um, I mean, there are so many kind of, um, you know, uh, tangents to, you know, to contact tracing that are, that offend that, but But, you know, the, uh, the idea that what you just said that, you know, that we are, we as citizens, you know, have to fear whether someone's going to come knock on our door. I mean, because to me, if if you're going to make me take a COVID test, you're going to mandate that you can't do that. I mean, if I'm, you know, as a, as a, uh, say I have a DUI. Okay. And they, you know, um, and they want to do a, a blood test. They have to get a warrant in order to do that. Okay, um, it, this is what we're talking about. There is warrantless. Okay, and you know, and, and on top. But I will tell you what is equally scary to me about that is I know that there are ways that if they decided they want to go down the path of you know of, of having to do a warrant that they could get it. Yeah. And you know, because there are people that are buying into public health is the single most important thing and you know your liberty is going to be given up for the sake of public health okay if we were talking about the plague i would i would feel differently than i i I would i'm not going to say i would be on board but i'm going to say i would feel differently (laughs) than how i feel 
about COVID-19. Yeah, I'm really worried that now if anyone listens to this podcast, what they're going to do to give them authority to come on your property is deputize septic inspectors. And then that's their in. And then you give the sheriff gives them arrest authority. <laughs> and now I'm locked up all because I had a septic system put in. Oh, my God. Take it out. It, it is. It, it's, I mean, so these are things that, yeah. you know, that that are uh, individual liberty is a big thing. You know, and you know, and the you know, the founding fathers favored, uh, you know, individual liberty. Uh, you know, th- that was what this was all about. Yeah, you have a duty to society. I mean, that, uh, this is not saying you get to do whatever you want at any time. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But there are. I mean, th- there is something you know uh, that that is you know sacrosanct about our individual ability to move about and to, you know, to make decisions about, you know, our lives and what we, and our children and what we want to do. And, you know, and um, that is, you know, the, the thing that is so scary about the, um, the contact tracing specifically is how, uh, how they're doing it. This is voluntary, really. Uh, you know, this is, this is because it's important that we stop the spread. Why? Okay. Again, let's look at the fatalities. Let's look at this. You know, I mean the, the, you know, the, there is something that's called herd immunity. You know, there is, you know, people getting it is not tantamount to fatalities. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's really insidious. And, you know, and, um, I mean, kind of, you know, when you're kind of talking about an election, and you're talking about making these decisions uh, about who is going to be in charge of this. Um, you really have to do that gut check and look at what's happened here, yeah. and you know, and that it is a wolf in sheep's clothing. It, and it, it's you know, a great, and are it's you okay a, with that? Yeah, I mean, no, it's a great point. I mean, when you but, said when you said Governor Schmovener, because people didn't think like that man could get that or that position. I shouldn't say that man. That's very gender biased of me. The person in that position could have that kind of control over your day to day. I doubt anyone really contemplated, considered. I agree. And, yeah. you know, and, and that is what this is about. That is why I'm running is, you know, if for no other reason than I mean, I, I, I want to win, you know, but, you know, but I now have. A platform. I, I have a platform, meaning I, I have a, you know, obviously a campaign platform, but I have a microphone. I have the ability to, you know, to ask these questions and make people go, oh, hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, even just you know, becoming you, aware. Yeah, you don't have to accept that this is the quote unquote new normal. Another phrase I hate. Yeah. Um, you know, they, we do not have to accept that from here on out. Um, we're oh. going to have to. Uh, check in or, or, you know, um, with uh, uh, the ability to go where we want to go. I mean, because that's what's coming. Yeah. And I mean, this is, you know, this is, this is kind of, you know, a, uh, this is not the end of this. There's going to be a COVID-20 and I don't, you know what I mean by that. There's going to be something else that's going to come. And we have now, we have a test case of how you can shut down and make people stay in and do all of these things. I want to, with the the limitations, I know you're limited on your time, but we didn't get a chance to get into this with education as okay. far as the schools, because again, talking about your new normal, that's going to be a very big thing with schools opening, talking about restricting where you go. That's going to be a very big thing with schools opening. So I'm kind yeah. of curious based on where we're at now, which is Sunday, August 2nd at one fifteen. So whatever decision you're making is based on data at that with that timestamp. 
Yeah. Um, what are you thinking for schools? What are you feeling? Schools opening. They should be going back. The kids should be going back to school. All in 100%. I do. I think so. Really? Now, let me qualify that. Okay. The, um, there are kids that are vulnerable, okay, asthma or have an underlying condition. Okay. If there is a big enough number, I mean, I think I, 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 and I think that there should still be a remote platform of some sort. Okay. But what I mean by that is if the teachers are, you know, so, so I have been at meetings where it's an in-person meeting, but there's a zoom meeting that's open that, you know, so that people can kind of be uh, there, but not physically there. Virtually the, the Republican in. convention was that way. Okay. okay? Um, you know, so I think that it is possible to have a, a hybrid of, um, you know, of, uh, in-person and, and remote, uh, the, uh, the, the numbers, you know, there have been zero, zero fatalities of anybody under the age of 18 from COVID-19 in the state of Delaware. Zero. Okay. Now can kids get it? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know what the, I have not seen numbers, um, that, uh, that, that say what, you know, what number of children have contracted it. I've seen the fact that there's zero that have, um, you know, that, that have died from it. But when I say go back to school, I'm not saying that, you know, go back, you know, and, and, uh, you know, stack 700 kids into a room. I mean, I think that we've learned a lot about the, um, uh, you know, the hand sanitizing and social distancing and things like that. Um, I am not a fan of kids wearing masks. I think that oh, there, wow. uh, I'm not a fan of masks. I, you know, I, I think that there are health risks to the masks. Uh, that uh, outweigh any possible benefit. Because when you start talking, I mean, I had a, a, a germ person, I can't, you know, there's a fancy name for it that I can't remember at the moment, <laughs> um, you know, that a vi virologist or something that told me that, that basically um, uh, imagine the mask as a chain link fence and the virus as a mosquito. Huh. I mean, it's, it's so microscopic and, you know, so this is, this is a feel good thing, you know, so that people feel like they're avoiding it. But at the end of the day, you know, really the, you know, the N95 mask, you know, there, there has to be a certain kind of mask that actually stops the transmission and we don't have it uh, as you know, the, the general populace does not. Um, do I think that we could uh, you know, do some stuff with scheduling to, I mean, the biggest problem that we have is, I mean, if you saw the CDC guidelines for schools when they came out, pretty unworkable. They're 100% you know, the, the unworkable because schools were built with a formula to limit capacity and growth. <laughs> right. Like schools are built with a cap in mind and they only give you so much square footage for the kids. And right. I guarantee you that square footage was not about keeping kids six feet apart. Right. <laughs> that was not in the formula. Correct. And, you know, and the school buses, you have to ride in every other seat. I mean, it, yeah. it, the, the, the guidelines are complete. Those, those are unworkable. But, you know, but, it, you know, could we, um, I mean, I, I, I talked to somebody yesterday who said that the Indian River School District, that they had gotten a, um, a notice or they were called for kind of a, you know, a survey. Your, your choices are 100% remote learning or going to school one day a week. Wow. Uh, okay. You know, I mean, and, and all right, if my choice is one day a week, so am I going to school that one day and then the other four I'm learning remotely? I mean, like, what's the plan? Yeah. And, you know, but with the, 
ability to uh, to open up a uh, you know Skype, Zoom, or something like that. I think you could uh, uh, potentially have you know kids uh, alternate days that they're actually in person as opposed to you know to going in. But the problem. And I don't have this data, and so that's why I, you know, I can't say I do not know what the the number is, of, or if there are any cases of COVID nineteen in in a uh, in in the under eighteen population. Again, I know there's no fatalities. Hey, you're googling stuff. Look it up. I'm curious. Okay. You know, I, I want to say you know, on nationally, I thought a young lady who was eleven had just passed away from COVID nineteen. I believe I saw that okay. headline, but I can okay. Google while you're saying. So, you, are you talking looking just for in Delaware the fatalities? Yep. No, not fatalities, but actual positive tests okay. for kids under eighteen. Um, you know, but the uh, you know, so uh, I think that you have to the. the the flip side of this is that again comes back to the economy and you know and I'm going to sound like this heartless person who doesn't you know that someone will spin this and say that I don't care about people you know but kids need to be around other kids yeah and you know and the uh there's a whole group that got completely shafted with uh you know the senior class that normally has all these cool things that happen your senior year that did not happen last year um that is sad i mean we all remember our senior year and the cool stuff that you got to do as a senior you know that you know that, that didn't happen i mean so we have depression we have you know kids that are um you know completely out of their element because they're not used to being home so much. Now, last spring when this started, their parents were home because they shut down all the businesses. So the, you know, the, the babysitting function, uh, you know, was, was not as huge a deal because the parents were home. Okay. That, that's not true this fall. So parents are going to have to make a decision about if the schools do not reopen and, you know, and uh, kid, it's going to be remote learning and your kids are of an age where they can't do this on their own. They're not high school age. Okay? They're, they're elementary or, um, you know, or middle school age. What are you doing? Yeah, the, el- the elementary is real scary. Um, my Googling skills for this kind of suck. I will apologize to you because I'm trying to listen and think and Google and I cannot multitask. I am not a female. <laughs> Only females have the ability to multitask thanks to their mom, Jean. <laughs> well, and you know, so, someone will downgrade me because I don't know the answer to this, but yeah. you know, but I but think that- But it's so that... much. It's so much just to know, to be honest with you. Like it, 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 there's just so much. It changes all the time. There's so much to know. I don't think you should be downgraded for that at all. Well, but thank you for that, but it'll happen anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, but here we are August 2nd with, with uh, what are we doing? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, we knew you, you knew this decision was going to have to be made. I mean, yeah. we knew it last spring when they shut the schools down. And I, I honestly, I can guarantee you, if kids go back in full, even if you allowed for waivers or exceptions, there is zero uh-huh. percent chance kids will be able to socially distance. And if if you've ever been in a hallway with I students, have. I yeah. mean, it's it's impossible. And then now you're going to leave kids in the classroom all day, like like what? And how is that going to go stir crazy for kids? You know, I mean, it's. It, it's something that I don't know logistically how you do. And then what happens to, and we didn't even get to this, the teachers who are at risk, right? Or if teachers yeah. aren't feeling comfortable. Right. Um, no, but, I mean, it's, I, I, and I, I'm trying to do this. Individuals who have died from, I'm, I'm, I, now I'm trying to do it too. Anyway, I'll just put it aside. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I mean, I'm at, I'm at 120, unfortunately, and I've got to do, uh, you know, a, uh, a 130 
and you know need to kind of shift gears for my, for my own head. So Julianne, can I wrap up with this just for consistency's sake? Yes. And have a little fun with it. It's going to be a cool little story. It's going to be the last thing people listening get to know about you. Can okay. I please get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Ah, uh, see, you're overthinking. You're fried. Best first, like one of your very first cool experiences you've had for the last thing that we get to know about you. Okay. Sorry. I, yeah, I totally over it. My best first. Yeah. Wow. Um, Ooh. And, and should it be something cool or it's going to tell you everything about me because <laughs> on what I pick. <laughs> exactly. See, secretly this podcast is actually a sociology experiment where I secretly judge people from my mom's basement because <laughs> they're not as cool as me because they don't have a good best first for last. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Um, you know, the, no, anything uh, at all. That, What'd you say? I said anything at all, anywhere you want to go with it. it everyone's is different. They, they're they wide ranging. I just honestly okay. like trying to get a genuine reaction of where people fall with that. Best first. Um, I am going to say that's really interesting. Uh, it also, while you're thinking, I just put this in all the time. There's only been one guest who actually was prepared for this. Shout out Kristen. And the other thing I realize is no one makes it to the end of podcasts that come on. <laughs> so if they do, wow, you know, kudos to you. Exactly. Um, I, I would say um, my best first uh, is probably, and it, it's actually a professional one. Um, was probably my, uh, my, my first oral argument. Uh, and it was the sheriff's case. It was, you know, uh, from, from the standpoint of where I was in my newbie political career, not newbie political, newbie, uh, legal career. And, uh, you know, how uh, big a deal it was at the time, how I performed, uh, under a tremendous amount of pressure in a very public forum. Uh, was, uh, was an awesome first. Nice. And you definitely told that story. Um, so you're off the hook. Way to, way to save time. <laughs> it's, but that's such a good point. So Julianne, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for giving so much of your time. Um, last thing, if anybody wants to get more information about you or plug yourself for the last, whatever, five, 10, 20 seconds. Okay. Uh, best way to find me is uh, murrayfordelaware.com is the website. I have a Facebook page that's also Murray for Delaware. Uh, that's M-U-R-R-A-Y for Delaware. And uh, the, the campaign email address is julie, J-U-L-I-E, at murrayfordelaware.com. Perfect. And I'll put all that in the description of the podcast so people can get that information. Okay. Appreciate um, it, man. Man, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for taking so much of your time and good luck going forward. Enjoy the grind. All right, thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. And Bye. I've now See ya. become an expert on the subject I like most. Thanks to Julianne Murray for coming on the podcast, giving so much of her time and sharing her in-depth knowledge. Is there a word to describe more depth than in-depth? If I had it, I would use it because it's clear she has it. <laughs> if you'd like to know more about Julianne Murray, you can go to her website, murrayfordelaware.com. That is Murray, the word for, F-O-R, Delaware.com. Remember, the primary in Delaware is September 15th. 
Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Go to andrepsyche.com for some trippy merch that's going to be worth checking out. And if you haven't already, help a local Delaware startup. Friend, follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The word of the pod. The word of the pod. Constitutionality. I believe it's fitting. Constitutionality is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the pod when you use it in yours and you will get a shout out on our very next podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience, except in the Dakotas and Idaho, as I mentioned, that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. All you have to do is message us. Don't forget, get out and vote.